the Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Gentlemen, welcome. Welcome. Thank so you. Good to be here, it's Joe. awesome to be so here. So good to, to have you guys here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I uh, saw you guys on YouTube a while back. Uh, I don't remember what the... Fr- I just just say the, the gentlemen, Brian and Nick... Who's Brian? Who's Nick? I'm Brian Rose. Who's Brian? Who's Nick? Nick. Uh, from London Real. These guys are uh, one of the, the coolest up-and-coming podcasts uh, that I've had a chance to listen to. And uh, really uh, is fucking right up our alley. The stuff you guys talk about, the people that you have on. You know, you had Jacques Vallée on. You had, uh, you had Graham Hancock on. Fresco, you mean. Uh, Jacques Fresco. Uh, did I say? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Fresco, yeah. Which one is Jacques Vallée? I don't know. Fresco's He's, the ninety-six-year-old. Dude. Fresco's the the Venus Project. Yeah, Venus gentleman. Project guy. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Jacques, uh, but you've had uh, you, you know you had Graham Hancock on. You guys have had some just right up our alley guests. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, it's it's beautiful to see that there's more out there. That there's people that are doing this in London. You know, there's people that are doing this in Toronto. I ran into a lot of people in Toronto that have podcasts cool. now, and it's essentially. It's all the same thing. It's like, you know, you get together and you go, Man, I would like to talk about some shit that I don't see talked about in the mainstream news. Like, mm. there's all this nonsense in the news about celebrities or about parts of the world that really don't even have anything to do with our day-to-day lives. But there's all these other weird subjects that aren't getting covered. You know, there's so much fascinating things about like what, 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 what's going on with these psychedelics? Like, what is this? What, what are they here for? What's yeah. this all about? Is this, can this be a debate for intelligent people to sit down and talk, or does it Im- immediately get derided and, and, and reduced to some silliness? To some, oh yeah, well you're gonna take hallucinogens? Yeah, why yeah. don't you just fucking why don't you get up in the morning and put a tie on like a gentleman? You <laughs> I know? spoke to Hancock about that. As soon as I mentioned ayahuasca or anything, everyone's eyes just glaze over and they're like, oh, you're one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. they think you're a, a crazy person. Yeah. If you want to talk about altered states of consciousness, you're a crazy person. In California too? Yeah, well, it's a little better here. It's okay. a little better here. Um, this is the most progressive spot in, in the country, I think, as far as like the ideas of, uh, I have a feeling about humans in America, and that it's not that there's not amazing people on the East Coast, there's amazing people all throughout the country, but I think there's a, there's a prevailing attitude of the, the region, like people always talk about liberals in California, well the reason why is because like in the, the East Coast is where all the people first landed, right. that's where all the people from Europe were like, fuck Europe, we're so done, mm-hmm. there's a new spot, they can't fuck with you, we're going to make our own laws, and th- that got all crazy and cunty, and people just decided to keep going, <laughs> and a lot of people kept going, and they just kept going. They eventually, on fucking horses with wooden wheels, got all the way to the other side, and were like, fuck, we can't go any further. Yeah. All right, let's pe- stop. People complain when the transatlantic yeah. flight is delayed by 30 minutes. They yeah, don't these, remember what, what our ancestors went through, right? Yeah, they had to eat each other, man. <laughs> they yeah, would oh, eat each other in the mountains. Where they ate each other. Yeah, that's, not, that's no joke, man. It, it was a scary time for human beings, and I, I, I think there was a lot of times where you know uh, people would start out and not make it they would I think try it's always a scary time for human beings though joe yeah I mean, this is a scary game we're all playing right it is it's the same scary game we were playing when i was in high school when i, when I was in high school it was about the soviets it was always yeah. you were talking about that recently people forget i mean i used to yeah. go to sleep at night really worried about 
nuclear war. How old are you? I'm 41. Yeah. Remember that movie, The Day After? Yeah. It was on when I was like 10 or 12. It was this whole television movie about basically a nuclear war and the end of it. <laughs> I mean, I stood up. I was up for days scared about that. <laughs> I don't remember that one in particular, but I bet I saw it. I, I've seen so many of them. I've seen so many apocalyptic Mad Max type movies where the, for some reason, you know, I am legend type shit goes down. Mm-hmm. And do, we you, just, do you think America needs an enemy? Like, do we need someone to kind of always be the bad guy? Well, we're not real. So when you say, does, does America need an enemy? America's not even real. It's there's just a bunch of humans and they decide to call it America and act as a group hmm. but it's pretty obvious at this point that it's that's not real it's us that's real it's humans and it might as well be you guys when you're here you're Americans hmm. it's like what what is America it's just a fucking spot it's just a spot hmm. and the idea that this spot acts as one unit and, and, and we should all go along with what the spot's doing that's fucking completely ridiculous hmm. because we don't get a say It's and what they're doing is completely contrary to what most of the people in this country would want to get done so what we have is like a fake country and we have uh, a, a really a dictatorship that's run by money and it's just run with a loose grip it's not run with a, a dog collar around your neck so you constantly feel oppressed it's run with a loose grip of corruption it's a loose grip of corruption and entanglement where there's no way to get into the system. Mm-hmm. Where a guy like Gary Johnson, who's the only one left running for president who makes any fucking sense, the libertarian candidate can't even get in on the debates because they won't treat him seriously. Mm-hmm. Because the, the media is really fake. The media is really bought and sold, and it's a news program. It's a news program where they pick and choose what aspects of the news, what angle of the news, instead of giving you all the information... And anything that has anything to do with criticizing America or anything that shows America in a bad light is all got to be reviewed before it's put on air. It's, so, it's, you know, while I was watching you, while you were giving that speech, I just really felt that you really want people to wake up. You really are trying they to They should wake it. up, too. They can't yeah. operate like this. They don't have to. The news doesn't have to operate like this. The government doesn't have to operate like this. Mm-hmm. The corporations don't have to operate like this. No one's saying you can't do business. What we're saying is business doesn't mean you have to fucking rob people. Business doesn't mean you have to use lobbyists to influence policy so that you can pollute rivers. Business doesn't mean that you can store nuclear waste in the middle of the fucking desert because you don't know how to get rid of it. A, you're not supposed to do any of that stuff. Until you know how to get rid of it, don't make it. Mm. You know, we, we should really probably shouldn't even be on fucking nuclear power mm. because we've had several major incidents over the past 100 years. 100 years ain't shit when it comes to how long the fucking Earth is and how long radioactive material lasts. So if you're having nuclear... If they've put together these power plants that if something goes wrong, that spot is poison for 100,000 years. Mm. You cannot live there anymore. And then even after 100,000 years, who's going to be the first to fucking move back there? <laughs> if we've keeping any sort of accurate records whatsoever, who the fuck is going to be the first person to move back to where there was a nuclear disaster and power plants imploded? No one. No one's going to do that. So that spot's ruined essentially for longer than humans have existed. That's, that's how long we've ruined Chernobyl. That's how long we've ruined Fukushima. We're ruining these spots. I, and it's, there's a lot of power plants, man, hundreds of them all over the place. And they could all equal a spot where one day you can't go anywhere near them. We're, we're assuming we're going to be able to keep the power on 
indefinitely and cool these fucking things off. That's why they've built them. Yeah, but it's in our human nature to only change your behavior when something really bad happens. It's just the way yeah. it is, right? It's, what's fascinating, it's, a, it's just an aspect of denial. You know, it's, and that's how corporations work. The reason why corporations are able to get away with the shit they do, bribe politicians and, 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 and influence literally war and murder, is because they act as a group that's just trying to get zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to get money. So they don't look at things in terms of like their moral value. They, they, they look at things in terms of, well, is this good for our stockholders? Is this good for our business? Can we make a profit here? Can we get over there? And when you have companies where you, know, you get a guy like Dick Cheney, who's the fucking head of a company called Halliburton, that fixes shit up after it gets blown up. And then this guy becomes the vice president and just starts blowing shit up and then giving these contracts to the company that he used to run. That is one of the craziest things that's ever happened in front of human beings. There was, it was essentially a jacking on television, live, publicly, and government sanctioned, where they jacked a whole country and j jacked the American people, too, and made us give money to these corporations that would fix shit that we blow up and even build shit that's not necessary. If you talk to people that are over there, they'll tell you that they just have like a certain amount of money they're supposed to spend, and they have a certain amount of projects. That, like They can build a desalinization plant, and the people are like, we don't fucking need this. Like <laughs> We're building it. You, know? you need it, you want it, it doesn't matter. We, we're building a desalinization plant because we got the contract for it. And they just... Billions of dollars is going over there. Billions and billions. Neil deGrasse Tyson had uh, a speech where he was talking about that we have the capability now, we have the knowledge and the know-how to build a telescope that literally can go back and look at the beginnings of time. Like we can build a telescope that is just infinitely more powerful than anything that exists today. It would cost about $10 million. $10 billion to, you know, it sounds like an incredible amount of money until you find out how much money they're spending in Iraq. They spend $10 million billion every few days. Uh, it's just constant. Have, uh, our species must have a really, a really negative karma because we have so much potential, but we yeah. just seem to channel it in the wrong direction. And maybe... Maybe it's not us. Maybe it's just our karma that we're burning through. We have to go th through all the shit. Who it's, knows? It's not us. It's just the pe Look, the business of running countries has not changed, although the access to information has changed radically. So the understanding of what a country really is has changed radically. But the business of running countries has not changed. The same thing that they did during the Roman Empire, they're doing today. They're just doing it through a, a loose series of guidelines. But it's really clear that they're robbing countries' resources, controlling people's militaries, attacking people mercilessly, putting fear and terror. And you want to talk about Orwellian. We have fucking robots that we operate with remote control yeah, from the other stupid. side of the planet that shoot missiles from the sky that kill people. Mm. Like, that is bananas. The fact that that's one of the major ways that we rocket in 2012, we literally send fucking Darth Vader spaceships that shoot rockets from the sky that is the that's insane Joe yeah, do, you, do you ever get like concerned that you might have or you might face repercussions from the US government one way or another for the, the views you promote on your show well no because I, I just it's everything that I'm saying is all obvious it's all right out there in the open it's not I mean like if you want to look at the Halliburton thing it's not like that fucking Rogan he gave up the goods on Halliburton <laughs> everybody knows that Halliburton is a completely corrupt the, 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 the relationship that Halliburton to the United States is completely corrupt just by virtue of the fact that they got no bid contracts these enormous enormous contracts like that's not the taxpayers being looked after that's not the government being frugal or being conservative with money that's 
a relationship between someone who influenced either directly with money or indirectly by getting their former CEO to, to run the country. I think the idea of a corporation is a good thing. I just think yeah. you need to regulate the fuck out of them. It, they, have mean, to, they have to have a good mindset. I mean, from a, just a limited liability corporate standpoint, I mean, you do believe that there's a reason for them. Because otherwise, if you, oh, couldn't, yeah, sure. you couldn't invest in on it, and, and otherwise they might come and like take your car away I if think, it was unlimited liability. I think I believe, I believe in paying taxes. I pay my taxes. I never cheat on my taxes. I pay Pay a lot of money in taxes. I pay. Uh, I believe in. I believe in state taxes too. I mean, I I, th- I pay state taxes in California. I know a lot of people that move to Nevada strictly because they don't have to pay state taxes. And th- I don't mind mm. paying for things. I don't mind government. I think it all can be done correctly, and but it's all got to be done. This sounds corny as fuck, but it's all got to be done with love. It can't be done with fear. And it's all being done with fear. Mm-hmm. The whole way the world is being done is being done with fear. And it's everybody's like, fuck you, I'm going to nuke you. If we, they were people, they would be the most ridiculous people ever. If Iran and Israel were people, you'd want to kill the both of them. <laughs> you'd be like, well, you two just shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. My God, you bickering cunts. You next-door neighbors who just, you're a fucking baby, you're a baby. This one asshole has a cartoon bomb he's using in a, a UN speech to show when it gets to here that's when we're in trouble like it's a bomb like showing iran's nuclear capabilities have you seen this no is this was, pull, pull this up brian this doing netanyahu this? that motherfucker oh, okay. that silly bitch netanyahu who's the the what is the prime, prime minister, minister of israel, of israel he's yeah. showing like when we have to attack iran he's got this nuclear <laughs> bomb and it's like get to a certain point and that's when you got to attack they're just, I mean, they're insecure over there, and they're like pawns in a little chess game that, that all the big powers are playing. What's his so. name? Net Zero Net, Yahoo? Net, <laughs> Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Something like that. Yeah, Netanyahu bomb cartoon. I think Pulled we need some up. joint Israeli-Palestinian podcasts. I think we just need them talking. Yeah, well, Shut them first in a room of all, together. It's, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the conflict to end all conflicts. That's the conflict that's go, been going on forever. It's mm-hmm. like, it's never going to end. That whole Middle Eastern conflict. Look at that. Look at that picture. Okay, that's ridiculous. Is that the most ridiculous shit ever? He's like, well, this is it. When Aminajad said it's childish, <laughs> and I agree with Aminajad. How about that? The dude who that fucking <laughs> says there's no Iranian gays. He doesn't believe in gay marriage. He's, I, I believe, who knows what Aminajad really said. He's a Holocaust denier as really well. Said. Is he a Holocaust denier? Uh, Aminajad is, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, I believe in him when his, his taste in cartoons is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> it just it's it seems like you know if 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 corporations and governments all sort of have this, this diffusion of responsibility, and even though we're in America, all the the things that go on that we don't agree with, like drone attacks and all the shit, you know, it, it all it becomes a, a matter of how much of an impact does that have on the re- the whole rest of the population? And if it only has a minor impact on the rest of the population, a lot of times you can get away with it. And that's the situation that we're in right now. It's, that We know that to in order to change things, it would require a major overhaul. And it would be really difficult for a lot of people. I mean, the government is comprised of a, a huge amount of, of human beings. There's a lot of people that yeah. essentially are completely unnecessary if we mm-hmm. had a, a real just and true government. They're really not necessary. I don't really believe in the conspiracies. I think it's just people have these positions where they have these great jobs and they're collecting money as a contractor, Halliburton, mm-hmm. and why, why change things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of that. But there's also conspiring. We know they conspired with Enron, and essentially Halliburton was, they were allowed yeah, to touchy. conspire. Halliburton's clear conspiracy. But we also know a lot about government conspiracy from the past that's not just like ideas 
ideas and thoughts, but stuff that actually has been proven to have happened, like the Gulf of Tonkin, the the you know the the, the idea that they, they got us into a war in Vietnam with like a fake story. They got the Operation Northwoods, Operation Dirty Trick, which is where they were going to blow. John Glenn was going to be the yeah. first person uh, into orbit, and if anything happened to his uh, his space shuttle, his uh, his rocket, they were going to blame it on the Cubans. We were going to blow up like some fucking. It was a reason to attack Cuba. We were like, look, it's a win-win. If John Glenn makes it, he's the first guy in space. You know, if it doesn't make it, we blame it on the Cubans. We go fuck them up, and that was that was the plan. <laughs> and this is not a conspiracy. This is like this is written documents. Do you think the government needs some secrecy? Otherwise, there's no diplomacy. No, I mean, no, we can't have Obama. Diplomacy. But I mean, Obama can't announce the night before he's going to go in and and you know assassinate Bin Laden. No, of so there course. has to be some kind of. I don't. First of all, I don't believe they did assassinate really? Bin Laden. No, wow. no. I think that dude's been dead for <laughs> uh, years. I talked to I people. To, if I had to say, I'd probably say that more than anything else that Joe Bill is fishing. Yeah, I've talked to dudes who are in, you know, special forces type jobs, and they were like, "No, that guy's been dead forever." They're like, "This guy's." Been, I don't know what uh, the fuck happened. It, and dudes were laughing about it. Like, just I don't didn't know. sound right. That story. Nope. Didn't sound right to anybody in any other country either. Did it's, you hear about that guy that wrote that book? That's like a national bestseller that he was one of the yeah, guys he was one of the guys yeah. Yeah. his story differs yeah. from the government version yeah he said it, like, it was really weird his beard was completely black when they came in and like there was yeah. no gray hairs and stuff like would he be yeah. really just fermenting his beard <laughs> yeah <if you're> gonna... <laughs> uh, well he might Brendan Walsh does I yeah. think it looks sexy as fuck on Brendan I would, I would support he? it yeah why not you do it you don't do it who cares you know uh, but uh, I don't believe I, who cares I don't care if they I, I don't think you know the, the whole reason why uh, that guy existed is because we do it, the only way a guy like uh, Osama bin Laden or any of these radical guys ever exists is there's got to be some great empire to oppose and it's not a great empire of altruism that's trying to help people all, all over the world and, and trying to enhance the lives of people and, and clean up their areas and, and make money in, in, in helping countries instead of making money and just robbing their resources and then taking out their military and the taking out their government. It will collapse sooner or later. Yeah, that's to, the problem. We don't have to have an empire. See, that's the problem. The, the, all empires do collapse because they're, they're run by cunts. You can't run an empire and not be a cunt. Mm -hmm. What we, not, we, we need is civilization. Mm -hmm. We don't need an empire anymore. All mm -hmm. these... Em these these organizations, they're not, they're not necessary. What we need to figure out is how natural resources can be distributed equally to all nations. That sounds fucked up, but that's reality is otherwise everyone's just going to go where the resources are. Yeah, and they're going to battle. I argue about this a lot. I mean, I think I'd like to believe that that's the case, that we can have a, a free society, a, f a fair society. But um, I think, Brian, you believe that like human nature just, it's never going to happen, right? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about human nature. I think humans are inherently lazy, and if we had like a socialist system, a lot of people wouldn't do anything. So I think capitalism does motivate people to a certain extent. Of course, it can go a little too far. It certainly when can. These corporations start acting in their own interests, and they become really big. Mm, and so it certainly is a great motivating factor. I believe you should be rewarded for your efforts. I mean, I believe that in many of the ideas that, that go behind capitalism, where I think we fuck up is with shit like the stock market. Things that can be manipulated, where you can gamble on. I got to talk to you about derivatives. I got to drop some Please science. Please explain. To. All right. So um, I actually spent some time in Boston. I spent four years at MIT. I think around the same time you were there. Although oh, I don't know no. if I, I don't went to many comedy clubs when I was there. I That's to, a fucking awesome town. If it wasn't so cold. 
What oh, a, yeah. especially Cambridge. What a great place. We were right across from the Necco wafer factory on two thirty three so, Mass. So you so. worked in. You understand derivatives. So yeah, I went. I mean, went to, I got a mechanical engineering degree, but I went straight to Wall Street afterwards and worked in banking. And then for the last ten years, I worked in London in the credit derivative industry. Oh, the worst beautiful. of all derivatives. So what is it? So it's your gambling. I'll drop a little science fail, on derivatives. Right? I was I was thinking about how I could talk about this, and I hear you talk about it all the time. So I figure out. I might is it well. frustrating? Like this retard? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> kind of <laughs> fucking nonsense. I'm he's saying. It's I'm like I have friends. <laughs> that'll talk about jujitsu, you know, like, oh, Hoist Gracie, what do you do? Just grab them, just reach over and grab their neck. I'm like, no, he didn't. Stop. Oh, it could be worse. You could have friends that, you could have friends that talk about kung fu, right, and tell them oh, how effective it is. Oh, Jesus. no. I had a guy, in no, fact, this is the in. worst shout-out I could ever give anyone, but <laughs> he said to me, and he popped up with the chat one, he was like, try to talk to Joe about kung fu, because I think he has some negative ideas. And I was like, look, dude, I don't really believe in kung fu myself, so it's going to be tough for me to convince him. We, we just well, <laughs> you know, it's not that kung fu doesn't work. It's just it's definitely not the best way to go. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. There's a lot of stuff that works. You know, if you backfist someone in the face, I mean, it, it's not going to feel good. Right. It's not going to feel good to and get backfist in the face. But it's not as good as you fucking overhand write somebody. It's just yeah. not. I think a better yeah. qualifier yeah. is it's, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just it doesn't work on the right people. You know, you yeah. could probably knock out an 86-year-old grandmother with the white crane dancing tiger technique. But... Try it on an MMA fighter. It's not going to happen. Well, it's also the way they practice it. A lot, the way a lot of people are practicing it. I'm like, oh my god! You're like you're 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 being silly. It's like you're throwing a punch and then you're pretending that if you threw that punch, what I would do is I would yeah. step right here and then I would attack your organs like this with a claw motion. <laughs> we, we, like, we, come on, you're we just had um, Roger. You're not going to do that. The guy's going to punch you again and again and again. He's going to kick you in the dick. It's going to be a lot of shit happening. You're not going to have time to get off that claw claw to the liver. <laughs> we just had Roger. Gray in the studio on Friday and he was talking about we were rubbishing off Kung Fu and Karate something bad we're gonna get some hate but he was talking about the kata and how if you get good at the kata you get your belt and he was like but in jujitsu you, you spar and you have mm-hmm. to test you can put a choke on someone but what about if he doesn't want you to put it on yeah, yeah. and he just was kind of breaking down some of the core differences yeah, there's a big difference. I have a black belt in Taekwondo as well. And in Taekwondo, there was guys that were black belts that weren't that good. They just weren't that good. They had been around a long time. They'd take their forms, and they, they did okay in sparring. But the reality is they weren't really black belts. They never re- reached that expert mm-hmm. level. Like, they could get mugged. Someone could kick their ass. Like, they really weren't adept at fighting. Do you know what I find is very interesting, Joe, which you might appreciate, is if you look at um, some of those more ridiculous martial arts, um, you see a guy who's like 45 or 50. Now, if you see a jiu-jitsu guy at that age, he's tough. He still rolls. He's like, he's in shape, you know. But you see one of these guys and without fail, every single 45-year-old plus traditional martial artist is the guy who's got like a slouch and a beer belly. And you can see he hasn't done a push-up for like 15 years. You know what I mean? Yeah, those like Uchiru guys. Yeah, and, yeah. and the, the weirdest thing is they punches. always, they want to be called by some weird title as well. Sabomnim. Yeah. And you yeah. said it was in the face. So you, you pulled up like some web, some Facebook the other day and you saw a guy with a black belt and you're like, look at his face. It's not a jujitsu black belt. Because <laughs> he didn't have the lines on his yeah, face dude. from like all those hard... Because he doesn't test himself. He just hides behind. Like He gets his belt or he gets his certificate and he says, okay, that's me. I'm this grandmaster. And then all the little students bow to him because they think he's got mystical powers. But at the end of the day, he's not progressing. He's not progressing in his art. and just makes my blood boil, man. For those that don't know it, Nick is a jiu-jitsu black belt. Yeah, that's what what, uh, jiu-jitsu is all about, exposing reality. And there's a lot of martial arts that are about putting on a show. 
It's really kind of completely contrary to jiu-jitsu. That's why in I, I Taekwondo had a, a big impact on me as a child because in in doing something that was difficult in Taekwondo, it was like the first character forming thing that I did as as a person. But there's a lot of cult aspects to it. You know, the bowing and the calling the you know the instructor sir mm-hmm. and always bowing to them. There was like this None of that shit's in jiu-jitsu. The mm-hmm. respect is all, like, real, legitimate, natural, friendly respect. Mm-hmm. Like, Jean-Jacques Machado, I have a black brother named Jean-Jacques as well, and Jean-Jacques is uh, he's not just, like, a great jiu-jitsu coach. He's, like, everyone's friend. He's, like, a really nice guy. So he's very informal. But it's no one ever, like, disrespects him or no one ever takes advantage of that, that friendliness and thinks that, you know, that they would be a better fighter than him or they can kick his ass sparring or something like that. Yeah. But karate guys will always have to put on – I don't want to say always because a lot of them – it's just it's it's done correctly and it is a discipline and it's all about you know maintaining you know the the the, the sort of uh, the, the the mindset of the Zen martial arts practitioner. There's a lot of people that are legit about it, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of people that they just want to put up a fucking dog and pony show so that you don't challenge them and test mm-hmm. them, and then they develop a fucking. Oh, God. Joe, I got yeah. a great story for you. Um, we'll get back to derivatives. Yeah, yeah, no, well, don't worry. Uh, I'll, I'll leave derivatives. without that. <laughs> so um, when I um, first started grappling in Cape Town, it was right before, the, just after the first UFC, and it was just starting to be understood about functional martial arts. And um, a few of the guys at the club where I trained, they were, they were going around, they just wanted to learn. So they were going to every martial arts club they could go to, they could find, and just, just testing the instructor and seeing what they, what they could learn from him. So they get to a ninjutsu school. Right? And, um, <laughs> what is that, by the way? What is ninjutsu? It's what I wanted to learn when okay. I was a kid. And I looked at martial arts magazines. I was trying to pick out martial arts to learn before <laughs> I practiced anything. I was like, I'd be pretty good to be a ninja. The ninjas are cool. But I, I needed something where you could get a black belt. That's yeah. one of the reasons why I went with karate first. <laughs> I wanted to get a black belt. You, you don't even know who's the best one. Yeah. They all dress the same. Just, I, I need a belt, man. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So they get to this ninjutsu school and they say to the, the guy, you know, we'd, we'd, um, we'd like to spar with you. would like to see your system and what, what you can do. So he said, you will wait until after the class. And so they were like, okay. They, they stuck on, watched them walk on their hands, whatever it is you do in jiu-jitsu <laughs> class. And um, then at the end of the class, the instructor said, he said, students, we have a challenger. And um, what he did is he took out a blindfold, he walked to the center of the mat, and he knelt down, crossed his arms, or put the blindfold and crossed his arms, and then said to um, my buddy, he said, attack me. Get and the fuck I swear, out of here. I couldn't here. make this up. I Get the fuck it. out of here. <laughs> so he my, might be crazy. <laughs> that guy, did you just punch him in the face? Well, my buddy looked around the room looking for a camera. He was like, this has got to be like some kind of joke. And then he just kind of he ran around to the back of him and put on a rear naked choke. And this guy like squealed. I didn't know what was going on, and eventually, like, the guy let him go, and that was, that was the end of ninjutsu for our training, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was really nice about it, because he could have just punted him in the face. Yeah. It's nice that he Like attacked. a pride kick yeah. in the face. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Shogun style, 2004. No, instead, he decided to choke him. That's a very nice guy, because he could have just run up and just knead the fuck out of his face. Yeah, or whoa, shambowed him, right? <laughs> yeah, he's silly, bitch. What do you do? Attack me. Oh, my God, you're crazy. <laughs> There's a lot of dudes who got mad at me um, online, a lot of these black dudes. 
that do kung fu in New York because okay. there's like a whole culture. Like from the Warriors, that kind Dude, of kung fu? Remember those guys? It's fi- most of it's fake kung fu. Okay. When, I, when I say fake kung fu, it's like a lot of they're doing, they're making shit up. Like, what if you did like this? Oh, man, you can't do like that. Look at how much you got exposed. Like this area, I'm attacking your knee here, son. Like you got, you got problems here. You know, I got a tiger claw to the side of your neck. Your whole side of your neck is wide open. Like they talk com- completely entertaining stuff. Oh, I like watching. I laugh my ass off at them. Look, these guys want to believe that they're real martial artists and they're really mad at me. Like, And the guy was like, come on, son. You tell me if I hit you in the face with a monkey paw, that wouldn't hurt? Yeah, I would, yeah. If you if I let you hit me in the face with a monkey paw, it would probably be hurt. But the crazy you know, thing that's is, that's not what I'm saying here. <laughs> what I'm saying is here, you're practicing some nonsense, kid. All right. But and, we all have aspects of our life in which we're deluding ourselves. You know what I mean? Yes. We just probably can't identify them. Like, oh, for them it's martial arts. For us, it maybe I don't know our relationships or whatever. There's, yeah, people love to delude themselves. It's way easier than facing the insignificance of your reality in this crazy picture of the whole universe. Yeah, it's a protection mechanism yeah, for the that's brain, right? what the ego's there for, to give you a reason to stay alive until you can get enlightened enough that you no longer need the ego to appreciate this existence. Yeah. But the ego's there to keep you alive. You're super special when you're a, right. a fucking a 10-year-old. You know, your, your oh, ego... That makes sense. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's just a, it's a, an engine to push you forward. It, and, and then from there... There, it's all about getting enlightened to the point where you no longer need the e- the ego to enjoy the the existence. But that doesn't happen in you the can West. Enjoy it. Yeah, it does. Just it it there, happens. Joe. You just you can do it. I did it. I mean, I'm wow. not perfect, but I'm, I'm I'm certainly way more evolved than I was when I was a younger person. Huh. But what was that through training or yes. through psychedelics or both? What? All the above. Jujitsu for sure helped. Jiu-jitsu, how, I've been doing jiu-jitsu since 96, and I think just getting constantly fucking strangled and going at it until your your heart's going to explode in mm. your chest, and you're trying not to tap, but you know, you got to realize you got to tap, and then you got to go again, because there's mm. still four minutes left in the round, and you're fucking, you know, you're going at it, and you develop these intense relationships with people because you, you understand their character. You know, you, you see dudes that break. You see yeah. dudes that will never break. You know guys that are so tough to tap. And, the, and you know guys yeah. that are a, a monster out of the gate, but then they run out of gas. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's yeah. me. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so different. Um, like yeah. even, even one level up is like I'm a jiu-jitsu instructor. And then um, I don't know if all jiu-jitsu instructors have it. I'd love to hear some from some of the others. But, you know, when all, all your students are watching and there's like that young, tough 20-year-old mm. kid and he's like oh, yeah. the tough purple belt and you're like, and you're tired and you've got to carrying an injury or something, you mm. know you've got to put it on the line. These fuckers aren't going to respect you anymore. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really true. tough. It's, it's true. It's, it's difficult. Have, and you know what? The reality is there's a lot of instructors out there with Marcelo Garcia comes to their school. They're going to get tapped. Mm. Yeah. So they have, to, they have to figure out what to do here. Do I just let everybody know, yeah, Marcelo can tap me? And this is how, watch me get treated like a baby. You know, I mean, a lot of people have a real issue with that. And then there's a lot of dudes that say, you know, okay, now I'm an instructor. Like, I have to make sure I'm lifting weights. You know, mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to be bigger and stronger. Like, Eddie Bravo talks about that. Like, he's, he fights for his life when he's in, in those classes. Because Eddie's wow. at such a high level right now, especially his guard. His guard is fucking so nasty. I've rolled with a lot of dudes, but he's one of the few guys, him and Denny, they're one of the few guys that consistently catch me from their guard. From the guard. Wow. Yeah, it's how fucking hard to catch someone from the guard. Joe, man, I gotta roll with you. Yeah, we gotta Seriously, roll. Seriously, dude. Okay, maybe Thursday. Could you okay, do Thursday? cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, come to 10th Planet. Yeah, We'd I love will. to have I you will. guys. Um, I think that uh, when, you, when you do that on a regular basis and you, you tap 
you, you tap people, you get tapped, you strain, you, 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 you blow through all the energy that you have in, in, a, in, a, in an endeavor, you know, especially one that's so primal. Jiu-jitsu is so life and death, you know? Mm-hmm. Even though you can do it and no one gets hurt, it's the craziest thing, man. You know, the, I have this, this theory that jiu-jitsu, um, I reckon you would know more about someone after a 10-minute jiu-jitsu match than a 10-minute conversation. Fuck 10 yeah. 10-hour conversation, yeah. maybe. Yeah. You see yeah. that character ten, come Maybe through. 10 fucking years. <laughs> you know, there's certain dudes where you tap them once and then they're done. You own them. You could just run right through them. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they're not tired, they just start giving stuff up. You know, you, you see it. You see, like, and you're like, come on, man, pull your arm back. You know, put your arm, tuck yourself. You got to protect yourself. Yeah. Just get that leg, that leg, and you, you'll start walking through it. You don't want them to break. You want them to, like to build up and mm-hmm. you know you want them to like offer legitimate resistance and that's what sparring is mm-hmm. supposed to be about that happened to me in brazil I, I went down as a white belt and i was training in gracie baja and like all week i was getting my ass tapped out as a white belt and then friday was no gi day and i showed up obviously with no belt and i started rolling with this one dude and i tapped him like six times and i think he just didn't know who i was and after that first tap after the first tap it was over yeah. yeah it can happen and then there's dudes who are like i remember this guy man <laughs> this guy just started doing jujitsu he was this crazy Armenian dude. I mean, he had just started. He was just learning techniques and he would spar with anybody. And this fucking guy just would not tap. He would fight to the death. And watching him roll with people, I'm like, check this motherfucker out. Mm. Like, you would think he was done. And he would just, ah, just fucking struggle and flail. And he wasn't strong and he wasn't big. He was just fucking proud as shit mm. and bound and determined not to tap. Not necessarily the best way to go about it. No. He yeah. had to get over that. But you gave him some respect. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember watching him because it was one of his first classes. And, you know, it's really, it's fascinating to me, fascinating to me watching people just start jiu-jitsu. You, you know, know what, Joe? The, <laughs> the jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu guys we're the modern day Jedi Knights. Yeah. Um, you know, like Hickson would be like the Yoda equivalent. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's it's kind of cool when you think about it that way. We are people who take ourselves to the limit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's why there's such a camaraderie between jiu-jitsu guys. You know what I mean? Like we, you know so much about a jiu-jitsu guy when you shake his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think you have to have. I, I always talk about how well like jiu-jitsu guys have control of their ego. It's like it's very rare you run into a jiu-jitsu guy who's very like rare. completely out of control. So many of our early guests were actually jiu-jitsu guys because it was who we knew for London Real and, mm-hmm. and I like must have had eight of them yeah. and the guys and they were all just these cool, grounded, pretty humble dudes, still smart, still excelling in their field but they were just I don't know. They get checked on a regular basis. So. That's what it is, man. It's getting checked on a regular basis. It's 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 huge. It's so important. It's what I said about the ego. Your ego it leads you to victory. It leads you to to want the glory and the accolades. But ultimately, it fucks you. Mm. If you fight with your ego, everybody knows that. You know, you'll you'll lose your composure. You'll get crazy, especially if you start getting tagged. You'll instead of fighting smart, you'll just fucking flail back. You'll try to attack back, mm. which is oftentimes the total wrong approach. Like you have to do the right thing technically. Mm-hmm. So you have to, if, you, if you're going to do the right thing technically, you have to be in complete control of your ego. You can't even let that factor into the process. Have you, have you, you have met to look Roger at it Gracie? as a game. You, yes, I'm so You can sense <clears> that, <throat> I mean, his presence, he is, I was, we interviewed him on our show the other day, and one of the things I brought up was, I've known him for almost 10 years, and Joe, I swear to God, I've never seen him lose his cool. He is the most zen person on the planet, or the one, the most zen person I know. And, um, 
it goes hand in hand with good jiu-jitsu. Like I notice the calmer I'm getting as a human being, maybe it's got to do with aging or meditation, the better my jiu-jitsu is, the more I'm in touch with reality when I'm like sparring with someone. And uh, I find that interesting. I do as well. I think jiu-jitsu is an excellent part of, of daily life for a man especially. <clears throat> And I think um, it's just one aspect, you know, the others are nutrition, philosophy, thought, conversation, conversation with others. You know, I know this this podcast for sure. You know, people talk about how much pod, this podcast has helped them. Well, it's helped me too because it's helped me really review a lot of the ideas that I have in my head and my, my take on things and, and really in, in, in projecting it out to other people and, or uh, broadcasting it out to people. You, you also are forced to sort of take a, a real account of all your thoughts. And it's sort of like teaching jiu-jitsu makes right. your game better. You learn you by know? teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you teach jiu-jitsu, man, you're going to empathize, right? <clears throat> yeah, my friend Brent, perfect example, was always like a decent purple belt. Always, uh, you know, but he, he wasn't like the best guy. And man, he started fucking teaching. He's a black belt now, but he mm-hmm. started teaching. And w- when he was teaching, it's like within a year, his game went up so many notches. Like all of a sudden, he was dangerous as fuck. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, every time you rolled with him, he was snatching kimores. You're like, oh, this is like he's doing this perfect. Like well, he had the tech. His technique became so sharp from teaching. Do you know why that is? I actually found out the other day because I'm. Um, I noticed that as well. When I started teaching full-time, I got, I got quite a lot better. And we have, I don't know if I'm using the correct term, but there's a specific kind of neuron in our brain that fires when we see someone doing something. It's, I think it's called an empathy neuron. And so when you're a teacher, you watch your students, and I don't know about your process when you teach them, but for me, I watch what they do, and I kind of, in my mind, I overlay what it should lo- look like. There's mm-hmm. like a mental video yes. overlay. Uh-huh. And then eventually I'll show them what to do and they'll do it correctly and, and it's kind of like me doing the technique again. Does right. that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. Um, I guess that's what's happening when you watch someone else doing something or if you're in, just involved in the process. That's why you can get better watching fight videos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And having knowledge of what to do already in your head, like having especially patterns. Like the other day uh, I was rolling and I, I had this guy in side control and he tried to get up to one knee <laughs> and as he tried to get up to one knee I took his back and it was all in one second yeah. the whole thing was like you know it all yeah, just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it you know it happens like you 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 couldn't think if even if you were like an athletic person you wouldn't be able to do it like that because you know what what it's happening is your mind is being bypassed your body my, yeah. my first coach always said to me he used to say your body knows what to do, but your mind gets in the way. Yes. And um, yes. that's when that happens for me yes. is the most beautiful it's moment. It's so crazy. It's crazy, dude. Because yeah. it happens and it really is like magic. It's like all of a sudden you got this dude's back. You know, it's like, well, and, and, and especially if you freak a guy out, like if you, you get, he's like, holy shit, how'd this guy get my back like that? Like Marcelo is my favorite example of that. When you watch like Marcelo's arm drag to back, there's a moment where these guys can't even believe this motherfucker got to <laughs> their back so quick. Like, how did he do that? You know, my buddy, um, my friend Alexis, um, he's a high-level black ball. Now, this is one of those guys, he's a little bit, little bit skinny, you know, like, so, but he's reasonably athletic, but he's not like an Olympian, you know? So he's, he's quite a fragile guy. He's light. He's like 150, 160 pounds. And he is so goddamn technical. Like, he is mm. literally like, like a surgeon wielding a scalpel. And he told me he went to train with Marcelo and he said, he said to me, Nick, I swear to God, it felt like that man was reading my mind. Every move I did, he knew if I went to put my hand down to get my balance because he'd off balance me, he'd grab my hand. And then he'd know I'd reach to counter with the other hand and he'd already have something queued up. He said it was like reading my mind. You rolled with him? No, I've never rolled with him. So, I mean, just think like... 
for a high-level black belt to say yeah. that about Marcelo. Isn't that exciting? We could all one day get perhaps close to that level. Yeah, the best guys I roll with are Jean-Jacques Machado. I roll with him pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've rolled with uh, Eddie Bravo a bunch of times, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, he's and Denny. Denny Propagos is one of uh, Eddie's black belts. He's got a nasty guard. And he's a small dude. He's only about 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. And he's, still. Yeah, and he still can tap me from the guard regularly. Wow. He's, he's wicked. Yeah, there's a lot. He's got a, Eddie's got a lot of guys that just have stupid guards. Shigeki's another one. This dude, and he's you know 135 pounds. What are you, Joe? Are you like a guard player? Are you ridiculous. a guard player or, or a passer? Or what's your style? I've changed much more over the years and tried to be much more guard oriented mm-hmm. and half guard oriented and earn earn top position. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because I, I most of my game, most of my submissions were from the top, and I realized that's. Unrealistic. Yeah, Rogers, Rogers, that Maurizio. Um, I mean, he's a seventh. He's a red and a red and white, red and black belt. So I mean, this guy's legit. And he said to me, I said when I was quite a bit younger, I said like, man, you know, Maurizio. I thought about it. Like, I don't want to play on my back because um, if I'm on my back, I'm just trying to get to the top anyway. So why don't I just go straight to the top? And he said, you know, Nick, when you get older, you'll see you'll need your guard, bro. You'll need it because there's much more energy conservation when you're on your back. And um, I didn't think about it, but the older I get, you know, I, I kind of see that. I yeah. know what he was talking about. I, got, I like to earn it. You know, that's what Eddie always says. If you're going to attack someone from the top, you should earn that position. Mm-hmm. So I always start off from guard. Mm-hmm. You know, I How think that's you, a smart way. Planet? Well, I've been, injured, I've been injured for five months. I, I fucked my back up. And what I tried to do was I tried to just, like, lightly roll like an asshole. Yeah, even though I knew it was injured, I was like, I just, like, roll with light guys and don't go hard. And then I fucked it up way worse. And uh, the one day where I tried to uh, roll light set me back three months. Then I came back, and I, I only trained for a couple of days, and I popped it out again. But it was much more mild this time. It was just a bad muscle tear. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in my back. It's... Where you're like in between your shoulder blades, like that's where I tore the muscle. It was really weird. It was a jujitsu thing. Are you gonna be rolling till you're like 65? Do you think, or later? Gonna, Are you gonna be like Elio Gracie till the wheels like- fall off? <laughs> I'm rolling till the wheels fall off. I mean, uh, I gotta t- say it was nice during the five months that I was off. Where I didn't, I was wasn't always tweaked. It was always yeah. like my elbow. But like man, I should have tapped from that, and I muscled out of it, or my I, neck got tweaked, or it's always something. I don't know about you, but um. For me, and I'm sure for a few other jiu-jitsu guys, you know, when you when you get to the end of a hard week of training and you're just fucked, yeah. you know, everything hurts and you've just got that like bone tiredness. Yeah, yeah. I I used to like fight against it, but now I kind of get off on that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like in my body, I'm alive. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, you also you feel like you've you've earned relaxation. You've actually done something incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Like I had a great role last night, and uh, I came home, and this is my third time back from the injury, and I'm like, I'm finally like pretty sure that it's. It's, if it's not 100%, it's definitely 90%, so I'm feeling great, and I was just fucking exhausted. And I just plopped out on the couch and watched TV. But I didn't feel guilty at all about watching TV. You know, it's like I did something pretty fucking – I put forth some serious effort. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I can enjoy, like, bullshit, like, fucking off, like, watching TV or something, unless I've done something yeah. hard. I, I, f- I feel like you should reward yourself with bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. But it's all a matter of managing it. You know, it's like – I like to I like to watch TV or watch a movie after I've written for a few hours, you know, or I just like okay, I did my work, I can just shut off now. Man, I can't do it, Joe. You know, I was just telling Brian the other day, um, I sold my PlayStation and my TV. I just I realized I don't want it in my house anymore, man, because 
you know, I, it sounds a bit strange, but I always feel kind of empty after watching TV or, and it's not porn, um, <laughs> or playing video games. I don't feel like I've grown as a person. I feel yeah. like I'm just like, ugh, like a vegetable, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to have it out the house. Well, there's a very different feeling that I get from playing video games than I get from uh, doing other things that are difficult, like pool. I play pool, which is also a lot of people would say is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like they always say that if someone could, is good at pool, it's a glorious result of a misspent youth. You know, that's a, what you do. That's what people describe like a really good pool player, but I feel that pool in a lot of ways is a lot like jujitsu because it's a, lo- a lot about managing your nerves. It's a lot about control of your body. It's a lot about concentration. It's not as fast paced, but it's it's pretty intense when you play high level pool. So to me, it's not just a game. It's also there's a lot of exercise going on there. There's a lot of exercise of control and composure, and in you know. In striking the ball, in judging how hard to hit it, you you literally are judging how much energy you release. You're like tr- controlling the mm-hmm. effort, and mm-hmm. it's very important because you can't hit everything full blast. It's not like you know boxing where you're trying to knock somebody out in the first round. You could just get away with all power punches. You have to have a, a real good sense of how lightly or how hard you need to hit that ball, and you need to be able to control that ball with a level a level stick. So you need to figure out how to drive mm-hmm. through it level as you're coming down. There's a lot of thinking if, if and weird going on if you look at it like from from a big big picture perspective there's um a philosopher called alan watts and he says he, i think he was around in the 60s or the, or the 70s and he was saying how um you'll get these wealthy people who they'll buy a huge boat and then they wonder why it doesn't make them happy and it's because pleasure comes from the acquisition the process of acquiring a skill it doesn't come from like a material object yeah and um that made a lot of sense to me you know that's why like when you go and you get on the mat, like now I find jiu-jitsu is the most fun now that I'm a black belt because I've acquired that skill and I can just enjoy it. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying too hard to get better. I'm just enjoying my skill. I'm getting pleasure yeah. from it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Like, you know, when you, when you have a good role, like say you get in there with a good purple belt or something like that, someone who's real scrappy and you go out and you're countering each <laughs> other and you're attacking and countering each other. And then you finally, you know, catch a dude with something. It's like, man, you earned that yeah. shit. You know, yeah. it's uh, there's, there's something beautiful about pulling off a technique on an unwilling participant. You know, mm-hmm. where you you figured out a way to bypass his defenses and whoosh, you get in. And, it, yeah. and it's a, a fascinating game of intellect. And that's what people don't understand. It's not just a physical thing. There's certainly physical aspects to it. Especially I feel them now because I'm just getting back into jiu-jitsu shape. Because even if you work out, There's and nothing always, like it, it's, not it's not the same. Nothing like that. The only thing that comes close is kettlebells. There's especially uh, a kettlebell workout called Extreme Kettlebell Cardio Workout. Okay. This company called Dragon Door sells it. And this, this motherfucker puts you through hell. I mean, it's a light, a light kettlebell, too. He does it with a 35-pound kettlebell. Mm-hmm. And I would have never believed that someone could give me a good workout with a little pussy-ass 35-pound mm-hmm. weight. I'm like, bitch. Like, where's the 70s, son? Let me show you what the fuck is up. But it fucks no. you up. How long oh is it? Oh, my God. Like 20 it's minutes? 45 minutes, man. <sighs> and by, by the end of 45 minutes, 45 minutes with like a minute break here and there, like in between uh, sets, it's ruthless. It's ruthless. <laughs> your fucking legs want to die. It's like they're going to break. You feel like you're going to step and your muscle is just going to fall off your leg. Like you've, you've ripped it all yeah. apart. If you get through that 45 minutes with that kettlebell, congratulations. You're a beast. Yeah, Brian, like whenever we've got close. like a, a big show coming up or before an ayahuasca trip, like 
Brian's like, I got to do my kettlebell workout in the morning because it puts you in a good mood, right? Yeah, yeah, try to get in the right zone. It puts those endorphins going, man. It, it fires up your system, you know, it gets your testosterone production up. When you're doing like, re, like they always say that the best exercises for putting on mass are full body exercises mm-hmm. like deadlifts, traditionally squats, things along those lines where your whole body has to move as a unit. Far more effective for putting on like real size and, and functional strength than like say, just bench press or just curls or something along those lines. You know, lines. if you look yeah. at someone who, who whose primary um, supplemental training outside jiu-jitsu is um, bodybuilding, you can see they just don't move right. Yeah. That's not the way the human body was designed to move through space. You know, that like they're all locked through the chest and shoulders and there's no like um, horizontal movement in their hips. There's only linear movement because if you think about it, you're pushing like 400 pounds on a leg press. That's a very, your muscles and your tendons, your ligaments and your bones get used to working in a very specific direction. There's yeah. no like... Balance, balance and and, uh, yeah. and flexibility in it. So, Joe, I got a question about Aubrey when he's on here and talking okay. about all his crazy, like Iboga. I remember you and Brian were listening to him talk about Iboga, and you were like, I don't ever want to do stuff like that. <laughs> or when he talks about ayahuasca, is that stuff that you guys just are like, never, I never want to touch that stuff? Oh, I would do ayahuasca in a heartbeat. I'm not worried about ayahuasca. Um, Ibogaine seems, uh, I think it would be great for someone who had real serious personality issues, or substance, addiction. Yeah. substance abuse issues. I don't have those, so... Uh, Graham I, Hancock I, was talking about the aboga, yeah. and he's like, I don't want to do it again. The closest I have to a substance abuse <laughs> issue is coffee. I love coffee. It's, it's a powerful drug, Joe. Was it a powerful drug, man? Coffee or ayahuasca? Coffee. Oh, a yeah. Joe, was it ayahuasca that somebody died the other day from? Mm. The first Supposedly, yeah, yeah, but they don't know if the ayahuasca killed him. Oh, or shaman killed him or something? He, yeah, some of the shaman could have killed him. Because the, the shaman buried him. So who knows if he died during a ceremony or, you know, he might have been an asshole. Somebody might have killed him. <laughs> you, know, you really, I don't know. Scary, I guess that was a legit though. shaman, like like an old school. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was in yeah. some movie before that. Like, oh, really? He'd been like, yeah, in like a legit movie. Yeah. And then apparently this kid's dead. So it's, I'm writing that drug off. <laughs> no. One guy dies meanwhile he smokes cigarettes. Isn't that hilarious? No. Cigarettes kill five hundred thousand people but, a year in this yeah. country alone. He's like, Well this fucking ayahuasca killed one asshole <laughs> in Peru. Wasn't ayahuasca the drug that he said that makes you feel like you're dying the whole no, time? No, 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 that's or, ibogaine. Oh, no. Iboga, yeah, iboga. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fuck that drug. I think we both said fuck that drug. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's very beneficial for certain people. I, I have a friend, my friend Ed, who uh, runs a center down in Mexico. Um, uh, Ed Clay, one of Lloyd Irvin's black belts. Mm-hmm. Um, great guy, and he's um, he's his whole uh, life changed because of ibogaine. He took it and went down, and and he had a, an issue with pain pills. He'd got an injury, and like a lot of guys, they get injured, and the doctor will prescribe him something. Especially if you fuck up your back, mm. it happened to uh, someone I know very very well. Yeah, me as well. It's a construction it's worker. Modern day heroin. It's, it's no joke. It's a strong yeah. opiate, isn't it? It's terrifying. It's very terrifying that it's so readily available. That doctors will prescribe it so easily, and that you know, they're trusting you to have control. They're giving you all these pills all at once. It's not like you go to the doctor and every day he dispenses you a new one. You know, he says, "Listen, I'll give you. You want to get on oxycontin? I will give it to you. But you got to come to me. I give you one. No, he gives a whole <laughs> bottle of ninety fucking pills. And if you want to take four at a time, you can take four at a time. No one's going to stop you. Mm. So yeah. it's it's weird that we're... You we don't know, have that in London. We don't have that readily accessible opiate <sighs> prescriptions. We have an incredibly hypocritical society, especially in Florida. Florida, yeah, they've done documentaries on it. Mm. 
um, that show um, uh, Vanguard had the uh, the OxyContin Express. It was a show dedicated just to OxyContin, where they showed that Florida they have these ridiculous laws where you. I think they're trying to change that now, probably because of Vanguard, probably because of that OxyContin Express mm-hmm. show. But they they have these things called pain management centers. So say you come in and you say, uh, hey, uh, you know, I hurt my back and uh, really it's fucking painful. I can't even sleep. And they go, okay, well, I'm going to write you a prescription for pain pills. And then you take it and you shut that door and you open the next door in the same building. They're connected. And that's the pharmacy. And they have your pain pills. And it's all they have. How does that continue to exist? Because there's corruption. And by the way, Florida is also the state that has recently come under fire for hiring police officers to pretend to be high school students to get kids to sell them pot. Okay. They hired a 25-year-old woman who was hot. She was attractive to make friends with a 17-year-old boy who was an honor roll student. This kid tested negative, by the way. Didn't have any pot in his system. Didn't do drugs. Didn't have a, uh, didn't have a record. Smart kid. Just a kid. Yeah, just a kid. And she made friends with him and then got him to sell her weed. And then they had, they had him arrested. Yeah. And she coerced him. I mean, she's 25 years old. She's a woman, okay? And she's dealing with a boy. And she's attractive. First of all, that's completely unfair. Mm. The attractive yeah. women have a massive amount of power. Especially, especially over a 17-year-old boy. Especially right? over a 17-year-old boy. Especially <laughs> an attractive, attractive 25-year-old woman. Yeah. I mean, that's a real woman. And he smells that. A boy would smell that. And the affection for that woman would be, like, super special. So, you know what's funny is... Sickness. I, I don't know about you, but when I was, like, younger, like, my fantasy was an older woman. And then the older you get, it kind of switches around. <laughs> what are you saying? Uh, didn't really? you get it? That uh, oh, as you get older, yeah. you, you your fantasies a younger woman. Yeah, so yeah. that threw him for a loop. He was like, no, I, I just didn't know if you were done. I thought you were gonna keep going. Um, I don't know. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, it's that's a weird thing. But some dudes know. There's like the whole milf market in porn. Yeah. Some dudes are into like those really dirty looking forty year olds. Crazy. Who just fucking savage, just cock monsters. Those forty year old. <laughs> Fucking with mascara, sweat, and all that. There's a, lot of that. There's a lot of those videos. Dudes are into that now. There's women who just want to get gorilla fucked. Older women who just they know what they want. That's like a, a whole market. Dirty yeah. milfs. And you know what's pretty a pretty freaky market as well. Watch this movie um, called Samsara recently, the sequel to Baraka. And um, you know it's those bunch of long shots with no dialogue, and they showed this. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, the sex doll factory. And then they juxtaposed that shot with um, one of those uh, strip clubs slash brothels in Thailand and to make a point. And it, it showed you just how similar the whole thing is, the sex industry. I mean, do you know what I mean? Selling yeah. sex dolls and selling human beings is pretty much the same, the same thing in, in that case. That's, that's fascinating. It's a movie. Are you guys are you guys moving to West or no? You we're staying about, here too. Uh, you always talk about like what you want to do with the squad and with the podcast and I mean like we're, you know I think you said recently you like feel a responsibility to kind of like take this to another level and stuff. And I always wonder what you meant by that. Well, um, the the only thing we're doing differently is one I have a, a new studio that I'm opening up that's closer to where I live. Okay. Um, and it's a, a completely independent thing. It's not connected to a comedy club and it's got a lot of space. So the idea is that we can have it set up the way I would like to have it set up where you know have uh, nice cameras and monitors on the wall. But you're not getting rid of Red Band, right? No. Okay. I've had this motherfucker with me for 10 years. I'm not going anywhere. Wouldn't work without it. He's Brian's one of my best friends. I mean, he's not just uh, I mean, he's a weird motherfucker, but he's you don't you don't get some weird dude who's into Hitler cats. That's just that's it's hard to find. <laughs> man. It's hard to find. He's it's a he's an important element. 
So it's going to be a place where like people hang out, or is it going to be a studio? Oh, Brian's going to be with me this weekend, by the way. Um, we're going to be in uh, Phoenix at Stand Up Live, and it's going to be fucking crazy, folks. Uh, Joey Diaz is there. Uh, he won't be there on Sunday, but he's there Friday and Saturday. Um, and Ari Shafir is going to be there on Friday. Brendan Walsh is going to be there on Saturday. Brian's going to be there the whole week. We're going to have a fucking blast. We haven't been to Phoenix. Uh, it's been wait. a couple of years. That's my, one of my favorite places are that in Texas. Oh, it's a cool town. Did you hear they bought the animals. other club? Yeah, they bought the Tempe Improv too. Yeah. Good for them. You yeah. still get nervous There's when you go animals. on stage show? No, I get excited. Really? Yeah, not nervous. I'm looking forward to doing it. I just, it's uh, it's important, so I get excited. I I wouldn't say nervous because with that implies like fear. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a fear thing. It's like it's an excitement. I like see. Uh, you have to be heightened. You definitely you can't like go up nonchalant. I mean, people want to be entertained. They want to be. It, they want to feel the intensity of the performance. Mm-hmm. They want to feel the focus. They, they, they want to be entertained. So you have to be up for it. So it's an excited thing. It's not a, a nerve. But it's, if I didn't do my job, though, I would feel fucking nervous. Like if I haven't been writing right. and I don't know what to say. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a weird fear that comes with uh, trying new shit and fucking around with new bits, especially if you're not convinced. Like sometimes I'll have a bit and uh, I'll start out with it and I'm like, man, this bit is, this might fucking suck. This bit might suck. This might have been just one of those stoned ramblings that and then I'll do it on stage and I'll find a path and all of a sudden it becomes a monster. It's like on stage it'll become alive and you have to take that chance sometimes. There's two aspects to writing. One aspect is the physical act of sitting in front of a keyboard writing in silence by myself. There's that for sure. That's a very important aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is telling the story in front of people, telling the bit in front of people because then the motherfucker just comes alive. Then then I know like I was going to say it a certain way but in the moment I go no, 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 I don't need that part. I need to edit that part out and just get right to this part. Boom. Boom, and it's a matter of uh, editing on stage. It's one of the few art forms that you must have an audience to create. You have to. I can't create. I can start. I can start the process on my own, but I can't create the audience without. Or any cre- any audience will do. Any well, I mean, hopefully a good one. Okay. But um, I can't create the stand up. I can't. Re- it can't become its full form without the crowd. Mm. It's impossible. I you use their that. energy. It's, it's yeah. part of the equation. Right? Yeah, it's mm. a part of the, the the reaction is part of it. The feel I get from them. The intangibles, like as I'm saying it the where i know the timing lies and it's it's so it would be impossible to describe it's such a specialized skill it's a weird skill wow. it's a it's it's a it's see because it's not it's not what everybody thinks it is man it's not just you're you know you're saying things and people are considering what you're saying and they're laughing ha, ha, ha. there's a little bit of that but there's also some weird fucking connection some hypnosis thing that's going on between the audience between, and you yeah and as an audience member i feel it as well like when i watch someone who i think is really hilarious like uh when i saw stanhope recently or when i saw uh, joey diaz the other day like when someone is really killing and you're locked into their bit it's there's a there's there's this weird sort of a connection right and that you as a performer you feel that and when you're coming up with new shit it's like you've you feel where it goes and, where, and you also feel when you're faking it you feel when it's forced you feel like all mm-hmm. these di- and you know what they feel you know what the audience feels it's like you're conducting so this it's pure it's really a pure art form it's a fucking weird art form it's I really a, hard i took a comedy course and i did five minutes in london 
And uh, the first, so it was trippy. I mean, I know a lot of people hate on comedy courses. I know Marin hates on comedy courses, but he shouldn't. You know, no one should because it, it gets people in the door it and it gets them out of their shell, right? Yeah. If you don't know anything about stand up, if you're not a stand up comedian, you know, you, why not take a course to get to force yourself on stage? Mm-hmm. You know, the real problem with courses is a lot of them are run by losers. Okay, that's the you, problem. But do you need a funny guy to teach you, or do you need the, the guy really to get you on stage and then so you can learn yourself? You, you're not going to get real. Comedy advice from somebody who sucks. Yeah, I don't think it's something okay. you can t- really they can't do teach, it. Though, right? Yeah, there was a bunch of people that wrote books on co- comedy, and they were like, you know, I remember as a, a young professional when I just started getting paid to do gigs, people would just laugh at these books about how horrible the comic who actually wrote the book was. But what a book does do, even though I agree with that in certain ways, it, it does get you interested in the conversation. It does like you might like go to the bookstore and say, "How to be a stand-up comic, man! I need to fucking find a book on how to be a comic." And then that book might be step one. Taking a class might be step two. Right. Ten years from now, you might be Mark Maron. You know, you might be a Mark Maron. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be a real professional comedian. It's just a matter of taking those steps. And so the good thing that a comedy class does is it allows you to fuck around and get on stage and see if this is something you're actually interested in and, and, and just think about the process of it. And by the way, when you're in a bad comedy class listening to idiots tell you how to do you might be like, this guy's an idiot, and that might help your comedy. Right. Like That might help you understand that there's a lot of people out there that do it terrible. Don't do what this guy's doing. Don't hack it up up there. Don't make it so obvious. Don't insult me as a person who's watching. Mm-hmm. You, know, like you might feel insulted, and that actually might benefit you in, in an educational sort of a way. We just too. got up and sucked every week in front of these people, and <laughs> and we all bonded at the end. It was like these twelve strangers, and it's like if you can't make twelve random people in London laugh, then most likely you're not going to make a comedy audience yeah. laugh. And we just got up there. I would just suck. Oh, by the way, and tomorrow then, night we have a show here. We have a show really? here at the uh, at the Ice House. Um, Joey Diaz and I were on the phone today. He's like, "What are we doing tomorrow, dog?" And I go, "What do you want to do?" He's, "We got to do a fucking show. We got to do a fucking show. We can't come in cold to Phoenix." He's like, we're not coming in cold to Phoenix, dog. We got to give these motherfuckers at the Ice House a show. So I said, all right, all right, we're going to do a show. Settle down. Is it like breathing for you guys? You guys got to be on stage um, we- weekly. Well, Joey is, um, you know, Joey is a guy who, no matter what, Joey's always doing three, four sets a week. He's always hopping around uh-huh. doing it. He loves it. It's one of the reasons why he's so good, so comfortable and natural up there. And it's just also what he loves. He's a real stand-up, you know. He's... Uh, He's a black belt in stand-up comedy. He loves it. Wow. He loves it. It's the same thing. So for him, it's like he knows that we're going to have these huge crowds. Phoenix, the club is like 600 seats, so it's, it's, and it's almost sold out. So it's going to be nuts. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, and one show on Sunday. So Joey's just fucking ramping up right now. He's fucking shadow boxing in his house. We invited you know? him on London Real, but then he told us he doesn't have a passport. So Can't go to London. Damn. That's yeah, up. that sucks. That's too bad because uh, that would be awesome to have him on. It would, yeah. You guys could experience do the, you, the love. Do you, um, <laughs> can you tell as someone who's like, um, you're like a black belt in stand comedy as well. So can you tell when you meet your, when you meet a new uh, colleague or peer, can you tell if they're a natural or if they're someone who had average talent and really polished it to a high degree? You could tell if they're a douchebag, and if they're a douchebag, they're probably not going to be that good. 
There's something about when you them that's going to be fake. Okay. Yeah, they're going to be clunky. And then there's some people you meet and they're just so open. They're so like, and you're like, whoa, I got to see what this guy does mm-hmm. on stage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like some people you meet them and they're, they're just really there and centered and engaging you. And you're like, oh, this is a sharp motherfucker. Like what's going on when with When he's this talking guy? to you. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, to, and then there's other guys that are like really quiet and then they get on stage and they're a motherfucker. You know, you never okay. know. It's, it's people's personalities are strange. There's some people that are completely different on stage than they are off stage. It's weird. You know, and some people, they're really fucking funny on stage. And then off stage, they're just, you know, kind of quiet and reserved, you know? <laughs> it's very strange. Like, they get it all out in their on stage uh, antics. There's, there's that too. There's a lot of different types of comedy. The most taxing and exhausting is the always on fucking one-liner guy who's always trying to like say the, like the the next funny thing it's and too like, much oh, you but you guys do crack jokes when you guys are hanging out yeah but only the ones the that work okay see <laughs> you gotta know what's you it's the same thing we we're talking about being a black belt it's like you gotta know what is actually funny and you gotta know what is just annoying to listen to mm-hmm. you know what is just you jerking off into the wind and what is actually something that's relative like something that's relevant something something relevant to bring up something that you're actually contributing to the conversation you you took the the turn like one of the things that brian is really good at and i want to encourage this but i have to give him his props he'll say some shit that i would have never fucking thought up and i would have never said and he'll interject him in weird spots and it's just like it takes the conversation sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it takes it to a place that you probably would have never gone on your own and that's what's fun in having a conversation what's fun in having a conversation and what's fun in in in, in watching a stand-up comedian is someone who who can take shit to places where you know you might not have gone but they're relevant they're relevant places mm-hmm. so it's like you allow them to think for you for a brief moment mm-hmm. you know you allow them right and when someone's when they're they're awkward and clunky, you know, like you can't think for me, stupid. Like, what are you doing here? You're bullshitting me. So you tune them out. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. immediate. You, it's like, so when you say that someone's exhausting because they're always yuck yucking it up, like they don't understand how they're being perceived. There, there's a disconnect between what they're projecting and what they're imagining they're projecting, or how they're being received and what how they're imagining they're being received. There's a disconnect there, and that that's uh, that's. Just like the karate guy who still thinks he's a master and he's got a gut now, but he wants everybody to be terrified of him and he really does believe somewhere in the back of his head that he could fucking handle multiple attackers. Mm. You know, he's he's bullshitting. Yeah, that's the scariest thing in life is when you're confronted with when your delusions are shown to you, you know what I mean? You mm. think you're the Mac and then you just get destroyed in That's something. That's why I told you not to eat that cookie this <laughs> motherfucker was trying to give you. Yeah, no cookies. You, anyway. don't, you don't want to fuck with these edibles, man. Edibles uh, edibles will put you in a bad place. Yeah. Unless you're ready for it. It's very confronting, you know? It's like, it just confronts you with all the weird shit that you've been pushing to the back of your head. Sounds like ayahuasca a bit. Well, have you ever um, l- l- seen the information on uh, the difference between consuming marijuana? Yeah, edib- just heard edib- about you of, talk about it. Yeah, more. the yeah. cannabinoids change on the first pass through the liver, right? Yeah, mm. the first pass through the liver becomes 11-hydroxy metabolite, which is this intense psychedelic drug, which is five times more psychoactive than THC. Mm. So for a portion of marijuana, like say, what's in a pot brownie, just if you smoked it, would fucking get you high as shit. Mm. But if you eat it, like it's, it's almost... Almost uncomfortable. 
it's like so self-examinatory and so in- intensely, you know, probing to all aspects of your fears and unconscious thoughts. And That's why I but you do it on a plane. On, yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I, I, was in, I was in L.A. about five years ago and someone gave me a brownie. I'd never had one before. And um, we were, he picked me up in the morning. So this is for you. We were on our way to Universal Studios, which I'd never been to before. So I ate this thing on an empty stomach. And um I got really paranoid and I, I, I chickened out on the Shrek ride, man. Like, I literally, I, I lost it. I said, I, I got to get out of here. There were all these mirrors on the walls, wailing. That's a good and quote. Like, oh, yeah. fucking I freaked, Shrek I freaked ride. Out, man. Brazilian yeah. Jiu Jitsu black belt, <laughs> I know. scared of Shrek rides. That's a new Shrek meme ride. now. That's a meme on, on the oh, Rogan man. board. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, scared of Shrek ride. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, man, yeah. weed's a motherfucker, yeah, son. That's a thing, man. There's a lot of people say it makes you paranoid, and I, I believe that a certain amount of paranoia is very important. Mm-hmm. I really think it's not paranoia. I think it's just. Is that me? How dare you? That ringtone, yeah. I know. Yeah, I don't change ringtones, bitch. I don't want to hear your music either. <laughs> you're, if you're one of those dudes that's got some fucking latest. Does Green Day have a latest song? They must. I have a badass ringtone. I it's bet you do, you sexy bitch. Um, what was I saying? The fuck were we talking? Dude, about? I don't know, but I got to drop some financial science on you. I had a point though, dude. Is that um, you forgot. playing your ringtone? Oh, well, kill that! It's kind of cool. If you get forgot that it certainly wasn't worth talking about, I was talking too much shit. Obviously. All right, throwing, so am I, am I dropping some science here? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, derivative got, science. Yeah, I got to drop a little bit. So, okay. um, so I know you're always talking about the crazy derivatives and how there's too many of them out there, and it's betting on like fake stuff. Well, what I talk about is uh, that I really am uh, a fucking idiot. I don't really understand it. So if I'm saying it, I'm just repeating some shit I heard online. Fair enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just like real break it down. Like the oldest form of derivative is like it's it's like what the Egyptians used to do when they used to like grow some cotton. And like they'd got, they'd know that they'd like sell it for a future price. And if they got a certain price, they would plant the crops. And if they didn't, then they wouldn't. So that was like the oldest form. And then it kind of got crazy with those credit derivatives and stuff. And it's more just like technology is the way I look at it. Like an iPad, you could say is bad if you like load porn on it and give it to an eight-year-old. But in theory, it's not bad stuff. Uh, the problem is, is when it gets a little unregulated and crazy. Well, uh, I see your point, and I think uh, that what you're saying is probably correct but i think that if you want to have a fair society and a society that makes sense i don't think you can have things when it comes to money and finances i don't think you can have things that can be manipulated in any way shape or form or things that are based at all on confidence or perceptions of how something is doing. So when I look at the stock, Apple's down. You know, the iPhone has not been perceived as the fucking hit that we thought it was. Apple stock is down. What are you even saying? What the fuck are you even saying? What kind of crazy world do we live in where there's people, the regular people who are gambling for and against a company falling apart or doing well, and that's a part of our society and that's a part of our economy? That's crazy. But every time you buy something, you're kind of gambling. When you buy your house and wherever you live, you actually are thinking it'll it'll probably be a good investment as opposed to if you bought a house in Tijuana, then it maybe wouldn't. So every well, decision you make with your money is kind of a bet. Sure, if I was saying that you should never gamble, that would make sense. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can't gamble on shit that you're not even a part of, and that can't be a giant part of the economy. You like when you when you're buying stock and selling stock and trading stock and things are going up and down the 
the Dow is down seven points today. What the fuck are you even talking about? You've got a shit system. If the Dow is down, that if it's that fluctuating up and down based on some stupid fucking bill that gets passed or some lack of con- or Iran's been rattling their sabers. The Dow is down. You know, it's that's a nonsense system. But humans are all about confidence, right? If if someone's if, if sure, you, but our know. economy shouldn't be based on such a weird. You know, ethereal sort of a feeling, like the idea that you know whether or not people believe that Apple's on the ride. What about BlackBerry? Where the fuck are BlackBerry now? <laughs> they were on top of the world at one point in time. So it just seems like nonsense, or it seems like one gambling. piece of gold should equal one donkey. All okay, right, so we go and back to the old school. <laughs> until we figure out how to have, uh, I, mean, I mean, what was the guy's name? The Jack Fresco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. talks it's about resource-based based economies. Economy, yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense. Economies based on numbers and derivatives and finances and stocks and bonds and what are you even saying? I just don't know how we're going to get there without exactly. having a complete bloodbath. How are we going to get to a better version of government without a complete you bloodbath? You always say the internet and yeah. that, that's the only option we have right now, right? I think that's... I think the internet is eventually going to be the governing of the world, the governing of the world. It's going to lead to the, the governing of the world through the people. I think it's only inevitable as long as people continue to have more and more access to information and more and more power to distribute that information like we do right now. And that's one of the scariest things about these tightening up bills when, the, you know, when they're trying to stop, they're passing these cyber terrorism bills and this sweeping legislation that allows the government to come in and shut down websites. And, and deem, you know, enemies of the state certain way. Like WikiLeaks is an enemy of the state now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Julian, Assange, Julian Assange is deemed an enemy of the state. They've decided he's as bad as al-Qaeda. He's, meanwhile, all he's done is tell the truth. All he's done is distribute information that the government didn't want distributed, so they decided that this guy's a fucking terrorist. Are that's you gonna, are that's you scary. I think it's nonsense. I mean, uh, as mm-hmm. I get older, I think it's more and more nonsense. I think part of the system I, it's a silly system. If Gary Johnson can't debate Okay, what you got is you got a rigged system. You got a giant, crazy, rigged, fake system. And if I pretend that I'm a part of this stupid electoral college and, and hop crazy. on board, it's nonsense. The college is still crazy, right? Every aspect of it is nuts. Right. L- lobbyists are nuts. The ability to donate, corporations' ability to donate uh, limitless amounts of money, that's, that's nuts. That's just this term, this, the latest super PACs yeah. and all that. That's it's, nuts. It's, it's weird watching crazy. it from London. It's really weird. Oh. It's, it seems like a big joke with Romney. It is. Big it joke. seems like a big uh, My, my sister liked uh, Mitt Romney on Facebook last night, Joe. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> seems like a nice guy. I like him, too. Doesn't mean I would vote for him. And even if you vote for him, I think it's been pretty obvious with Obama that it's not that easy. Um, and what Obama's done... Everybody thought that Obama was going to be this great savior of this country. And it's going to... You know, I mean, I remember this woman who was... Uh, like all happy when he won. Now I know that my mortgage is going to be paid. And now I know that I was listening to her say this. I was like, whoa, you want to talk about some high expectations for someone who's going to come in and you think he's going to fix this incredibly fucking entangled corrupt system. Yeah. Not only did he not fix it, but he let some shit get passed that I would have never thought that the national defense authorization act, which allows the military to break up civil dissent, that allows the military to be used on us civilians. It allows people to be held without authorization. It allows to be without rather representation, without uh, any recourse. You can't, you can't have a trial. 
they could just hold you indefinitely as it's long as terrifying, they want. Man. It's, it's terrifying. terrifying. It's terrifying that they would ask for that. Here's why. It's not like things have gone horribly bad in this country. It's not like there's riots in the streets every day and people are assassinating government leaders and there's bombs blowing up in buildings everywhere. And we have resorted to like some sort of arcane law that we're going to have to put into place until we can calm things down. We've got to control. The- no, it's not that. But go walk down the street. Pasadena is beautiful out here, man. It's you nice. know, get on the highway. There's a few too many cars. People are civil. You know, you got hours and hours of bumper-to-bumper traffic, and the worst thing is somebody might blow the horn or stick a finger out at somebody. No one's cutting people's heads off with swords. You know, it's, it's not necessary to pass these crazy Orwellian laws. But what it makes me think is that they can see the writing on the wall, and they know that this form of running governments, it's, it's no longer valid. It doesn't work. It's ridiculous. We, we understand your influence. We understand why you're making these decisions. We see where the money comes from now. It's all readily available. It's not like we're living in 1930, and I have to read the Hearst newspapers to find out what the information is, you know, is going to be about this upcoming election. You can find out anything about anybody. It's, it's, it's really different now. And it's not saying that we don't need a government. We certainly need a government. It's not saying we shouldn't have corporations. Of course we should have corporations. I, there's a lot of corporations that I think are great. I think Apple's great. I think Porsche's great. I think you know, I, I like their products. I think, you know what I mean? I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we can't allow money to supersede humanity. And that's what they've done. They've allowed the idea of doing their stockholders justice and making as much money as possible. They've allowed that to supersede humanity. And when you have businesses where their entire function is to supersede humanity, you can see that and you can can measure that, that we need to stop that. That needs to be closed down. They got to stop it for themselves because they're all having fucking horrible karma from that, you know, and... Yeah, that's got to be bad. Terrible, man. Have you have you thought about having politicians on the show? Or, we've had or, a few. We've had, had uh, a, a guy that a was young running. kid, David Seaman. He's coming back again. Would, would in a politicians couple of weeks. want to come on your show? Or no. would they, would why they would they want to? Maybe Gary Johnson would, but he's you know he's legit. You know, right. I, I spoke to Ron Paul. I had a chance to speak to him on the Tonight Show. I never asked him to come on the podcast because I thought it would be ridiculous. Seaman's coming As on. He wouldn't again? come. Yeah. yeah, he's coming on again. <laughs> <laughs> What, you have a problem with that? No, I said Seaman's Red coming on you again. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> See? Fucking child. It's good, though. There you go. That's what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Like the needle off the record. It's my man child barking <laughs> out in the distance. <laughs> but you've created jokes. So this is um, our, our one-year anniversary, pretty much, since we started guys? this yeah. show. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, it was... It was pretty much after watching your show. I mean, the split screen was pretty much an ode to when you used to shoot it, I think, at your house, right? Yeah. Well, we started doing it because of uh, Anthony Cumia, really. He was the, the, the big push. I mean, when uh, we went to um, uh, the Opie and Anthony show, and Anthony has a show called Live from the Compound. Okay. And he was the first. He actually has a fucking sick setup. He has a green screen and a broadcast desk and really high end microphones. And him and his buddies would get drunk and do a show. And we were like, me and Brian were like, that looks fun. Was it video as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we started doing it. Almost, it'll be three years for us in December. We started doing it uh, on just on a Ustream on, on, a, on a laptop. And yeah, you guys were on sofas, right? In the beginning. Yeah, we were in my house, just chilling in my house. We were bored. You well, know? you infected us over in London, you know? <laughs> well, you know, like I said, we were infected first. Yeah, so Bri- somebody Brian infected and I, us. Um, we, we've come up with this idea called Global Real, and we want to we wanna facilitate the setting up of like similar things, London Real, in every major city in the world. Or anybody who wants to just do a podcast. And uh, we talked to some guys actually in Victoria, British Columbia. There's a guy over there, Eric Faust, and we talked to him recently on Skype, and he's like, I want to do a podcast. I'm like, just do it. You know, if you want some help, let's do it. And he's like, I want to call it Victoria Real with your permission. And I was like, dude. 
That's we, awesome. We don't know the name, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, just, as long as it's not another London reel, you're good, right? Don't have to bust <laughs> those dudes up, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there can't be enough podcasts, right? I mean, no, you, you I don't think that. Yeah, just, I, 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 you know, there's a lot of people that feel like the other people that are doing podcasts are somehow or another the competition. I don't feel that at all. I never have. I feel like there's 300 million fucking human beings just in this country mm-hmm. and hundreds of millions worldwide that also listen to anything English. I think there's a huge audience for everybody, and I, I don't think that it has to be us against them. I, I'm inspired by other comedians, just like I'm inspired by other podcasts. But I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the way to be successful and the way to feel good is to help other people yeah, to help other people do things abundance mentality though you yeah know? like that's one of the first signs of an enlightened human being is he knows there's enough for everyone he doesn't have to like claw and scrape and say this is mine you know and no. that's yeah once you start sending that energy out into the universe your experience becomes very very different right i think my stand-up comedy all of it is benefited from that my life has benefited from it i'm just a, I, I think you have to be a generous person mm-hmm. like i'll regularly go to a, a coffee shop and leave like a hundred dollar tip i just I think you got to do that. I think you do. I, I, I leave like little happiness bombs. Like I always it's joke, a joke about it. Like my friend Duncan and I were, we uh, ate at this barbecue place and, uh, you know, I, I tipped the waiter a hundred bucks and he didn't even know it, but we left. Thanks. Bye. And I like, get out of there. Like, I, I love the fact right. that dude's going to open up the thing and see a hundred bucks. Like, Motherfucker just gave me a hundred bucks. Right, and you're gone. Like, right yeah. Right and I'm gone. Nice, so it's a little right? happiness bomb, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, and I think that that sort of uh, <laughs> mentality, I've also put that to stand up, you know, and all of us would do that. Ari does that. Duncan does that. Brian does that. Joey Diaz does that. You know, we're the first guys to tell you about someone that we think is great and someone that we love, something you should check out. And uh, it's aided all of us. You yeah. Know? What you give, what you give, you get back 10 times, right? It's, That's yeah, the yeah universe, I think right? so, man. I've, you know, there's a lot of comics who bring guys on the road with them that are terrible so they don't show them up. I've always been of the the mindset that I should bring the funniest human beings that are available so that the show's better and it it makes me laugh. Like I don't, I'm not, it's not going to make me less funny. Like that, that that idea is crazy to me. Like there's a lot of people that actually want the person who's on in front of them to not be funny because then it makes them look better. And yeah. I think that's that mean if you if that's the the worst way of thinking ever because that's your so your your sense of what is funny or what's funny about you is so delicate that no one else can also be funny. Mm. Like that's crazy. Disgusting. Like sometimes you're funny, but you're only funny if someone before you sucks. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it's a whole the wrong but mentality. It's the same thing. It's it's a, a lack of that abundance mentality and a lack of the the real idea that human beings are inexorably connected that we're connected by energy and that we're connected by intent and that we're, we're connected by the, the, the thoughts that we put out there and the thoughts that we receive from, from other people. This, it's, not a, it's not this woo-woo thing. This is a real exchange of energy. Yeah, it is it's what it real. Is, right? I've been impressed by the power of a conversation. Like We, we get on, on the air once a week and we have an hour conversation with someone who we think is important. And that's why we put them in the center of the screen. We like want to feature these people to the world, whether it's Simon Powell with his psilocybin solution or you know an MMA fighter or somebody. And it's yeah. like, check this dude out. But it's, it's had a big effect on me. I mean, just, I've grown so much as a person this last year probably been the best year of my life and this is like 10 years in financial markets and making money and doing this but like this last year i've changed the most i fucking drank ayahuasca two years ago i would have been the dude that glazes over when you talk about psychedelics <laughs> i'm like oh you're one of those fucks yeah you no know? and now i'm doing it and like what, what made you what made you uh have a an, an altering of that idea 
you know, I walked away from that job because I, I don't know, I think a lot of times as young males were sold this kind of this, this capitalist promise where you go to school, you make the money, you get the girl, you have the car and, and you're happy. And um, a lot of our viewers, I think, are the same way. They're like these guys in their mid-20s that think they're playing the game and they're like, okay, then where are all my rewards? And they're like, I'm not happy with this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think I got there, I was doing this day-in, day-out job and it was quote-unquote successful and I had all the trappings and then I was just like, I wasn't happy. So I just walked away from it, scared as hell, mm-hmm. with, with nothing you, to do. Beautiful. That's yeah, a beautiful and, and story. Then for six months, I was like literally not doing much and Nick and I would meet in the West End and walk around London for like three hours and, and I was listening to your podcast and I, we'd walk and we'd talk about philosophy and women and finance and perspectives and at the end I'd be like, Nick, that would have made a fucking good podcast. <laughs> yeah, if we had just yeah. recorded it, you know? And then Nick's like, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And then... Um, and then like I arrived at Brian's house, I thought it was just going to be us like talking into um, garage band and Brian set up this huge studio and there's a microphone in my face. And, That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And we got the cameras. I thought the video was super important because... I've listened to audio podcasts before, but you need to see guys' faces. And yeah. I always say for our guests, people need to see at least the first five minutes because they need to see if they're a cunt or not. Or if, they're, <laughs> if they're a douche. And you can tell after five minutes of looking at someone, I think you can say, okay, I like this guy's vibe. And then you can listen if you want. You can tell from listening too. You know, I was listening to the Opie and Anthony show and there was a guy on. I was like, man, I, sh- th- uh, this guy sounds like a cunt to me. Like they're being nice to the guy, but I'm like, this guy sounds like a douchebag. So I asked a friend who knew him. He goes, oh, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> I go, oh, thank you. I go, because I was like, this guy is playing these guys. I was like, there's something about this guy that is so disingenuous. And uh, as soon as I asked my friend who knew him, I was like, oh, he's a piece of shit. I fucking hate that guy. I was like, thank you. <laughs> just you by can, listening. Yeah, just by listening, yeah. man. But I, the, I agree with you about the video, but the reality is the majority of our listeners are audio only. Yeah. More than 70%, I think. Well, probably, yeah, way more than that. Is it really? Like 90%. Yeah, yeah. yeah we have a big, crazy. but I say I was more like 60%, I'd say. Well, between Stitcher, which is, uh, do you, are you guys yeah, on Stitcher? Stitcher. Yeah, I love that's Stitcher. nice, isn't it? Really it's cool. Like that, yeah. It's a cool service. Don't tell Bill Burr. Um, <laughs> Stitcher is uh, one one great way that we're distributed through smartphones. But now there's the you know the iPhone app on the new iPhones. They have a podcast app, okay. and we have our own podcast app. You can find the Joe Rogan Experience podcast app. It's free. Um, but the audio version is where people like listen to it on the train or in their car or at the gym or whatever. I think that's much more more prevalent. Very few assholes are sitting in front of their computer watching. I us. usually watch the first few minutes just to take a look at the guests and then I switch to audio. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we, we got gifts, by the way. Might as well drop these guys, these, these things on you guys. You have gifts for us? Yeah, man. How dare you? I know, huh? Hopefully you brought batteries. That's for you. Oh, man. And that's for you, Red Band. Oh, no way. Brian, did you say that with a gay accent, you <laughs> son of a bitch? <clears throat> And that's some crazy ass London real. You have your wrapping own paper. wrapping paper? No, it's actually some posters. I didn't have any wrapping paper. <laughs> we gotta at home. get on it, son. We gotta get wrapping paper. <laughs> but it looks kind of cool, right? Death Squad wrapping paper for <laughs> right? Christmas. Come on, dude. Yeah, you gotta put that up for the camera. Come on, that's Death cool, Squad right? wrapping paper. <laughs> I'm telling you. This guy, whoever you were that came with the higher primate tattoo, this guy had the dopest fucking one of my t-shirt uh, designs on his shoulder, the, the Shiva one. Uh, he had it done on his shoulder by this wicked tattoo artist. Whoever you were, you fucking son of a bitch. That was a badass tattoo. Dude, you've got pride gloves for me. Dude, those were some originals. Were they used? No, those... uh, I went to Pride, I think it was in 05 in Japan, and uh, then they've never been used, so... And then Redman's got the... The classic English. Shirt. I think Pride gloves are actually That's better awesome. better you. than the gloves that the UFC uses. In one way, is that the the padding goes more over the end of the fingers, and it kind of keeps you curled. I feel like there are less eye pokes in Pride. 
Do you feel that? Man, I can't yeah, remember. I don't Pride. remember a single so Apple Pride. Pride was awesome. Yeah, man. it was fun. Oh, I Fuck, it was awesome. I used it. to love it. It was, cool. it was such a crazy time. Those fights were nuts, man. Like, there's no other organization that would have put on Minotaro versus Bob Sapp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great fight. That was craziness, man. Yeah, I mean, it was like they were almost superheroes. If in that you don't ring. know what we're talking about, Minotaro is this guy who's like the original jujitsu heavyweight like the original guy the first guy really to come along and start submitting high-end guys from his back nobody did that before minotauro and he fought this guy named bob sap was literally 370 pounds of all muscle he was fucking ridiculous and it was a crazy fight where bob sap pile-drived minotauro at one point in time minotauro was more than a hundred pounds lighter than him more than a hundred i think he's probably 150 pounds lighter than him Mm -hmm. It was craziness. And he slapped the armbar on him in the end. Slapped an right? armbar yeah. at the end and caught him in an armbar. Spoiler alert. He's sorry. Proper <laughs> and Bob Sapp probably couldn't extend right? his arm more than that. So Oh, it was ridiculous. Bob, Bob Sapp was, was so big, he, he didn't look real. He made so much money in Japan endorsing products and stuff. He made millions of it. Yeah, but then the market kind of fell apart. The, I, from what I understand, we're going to get Ensign Inoue on the podcast oh, yeah. next time Ensign's in America. Love him. Yeah, he's great. He went into Fukushima and delivered yeah, aid and stuff. That fuck, was one intense dude. Dude, that guy is the real deal. Mm. And he, uh, you know, he was there during the whole, like, the, the height of, of Pride, and he was also there when it, when it dropped off. So he'd probably be the one that could tell you what the fuck really happened. When he comes on the podcast, maybe we'll get it from him. And James Thompson, he was in, involved in he's Pride, British, too. British, right? He's yeah, British Colossus. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, on my, yeah. my message board now, and he's, uh, he writes a lot of blogs. He's actually a very good writer. Okay. A really interesting cat, you know, because he's this big, scary-looking motherfucker, mm-hmm. but he's actually a really well-thought-out, well well-spoken guy. Real yeah, fascinating he's a London character. Real fan. He sent us a message the other that day. That was him. Actually. That was oh, him, yeah? right? Yeah, yeah. He sent me a message yeah. to my Facebook and I was like, can't be the same <laughs> James Thompson. Yeah, he's a great guy, oh, that's man. That's cool. Sorry, yeah, James. Sorry, James. I'm going to get back to you. Like I said, he's on, <laughs> he's on my message board all the time. He's a great guy. A lot of MMA guys are cool dudes. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's a, along the same lines that we talked yeah. about with jiu-jitsu. The only difference with MMA, of course, is that you have to uh, consider... Thank you very much for these gloves, by the yeah, way. You're awesome. you, man. Um, you have to consider with MMA um, the 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 potential for long-term damage to your mind. You just have to consider that. And so these guys uh, always have that sort of hanging over their head. And I think that's one of the reasons why you really can't enjoy it like you can enjoy jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Like jujitsu, even when you, you, you tap somebody, you don't feel bad because you get tapped too. Everybody taps. You, it's just part of the whole game. It's like he needs to learn that you, know, you can't put your arm there if the guy's uh, got your back and he's got the, you know, he, he needs to learn what he did wrong in that position because you, it's not like if you got Hodger in that position, you could have tapped him or, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a lesson for everybody. So you don't even feel bad about delivering the lesson. Because if you're trying to get good at jiu-jitsu, ultimately you should welcome getting tapped because it sh- exposes you, your, your true weaknesses. Otherwise, you're really not going to know. And the only way to get better is to see those weaknesses, shore up those holes, and move forward. So someone who taps you is actually helping you. And that's, that aspect doesn't exist in kickboxing. You know, kickboxing, man, you only have a certain rat-a-tat-tat that you could take to your head. You only, you only have a certain number, man. And mm-hmm. when you deliver, especially when you deliver on a sparring partner, there's part of you that knows that you just did some damage. When you uncork a right hand on someone, you see their eyes roll back and their knees buckle, you know you just fucked that yeah. guy's consciousness up for Are a guys trying smarter these days? I know Mac Denzik was here talking about that. Do you think a lot of fighters have had that new philosophy of I'm going to train smarter, not harder? I or- think some of them have, certainly. 
um, but some of them don't have as, uh, access to the, the most technical trainers. You know, there's some trainers, like there's this, the, the Matt Humes of the world, who if you watch their fighters, there's, their fighters are so obviously well-trained, very obviously technical. Winkle John's fighters are also very similar. Like you, you, they're super obviously well-technically trained. Like you watch Cowboy Cerrone move. You know, you watch um, what John Jones is learning. He's, these guys are learning very good technique. Mm-hmm. You know, and the only way to truly do that is to be taught by someone who is at the front of the game, someone who really knows what the fuck is up, someone who has a super technical stand-up game and knows how to to move a fighter through progression, challenge them and test them, and, but but not have them get mauled, not have them get beat up, and, and figure out a way to balance all that out. Because it takes one, one bad punch and, like, yeah. you'll never be the same fighter again. Yeah, I've seen guys that... Especially Especially kicks. I've seen guys that got kicked in the head and were never the same, and that is that is a hundred percent real. Especially um, like like there's certain kicks, like wheel kicks and things along the, 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 those lines, where there's an insane amount of power. Like that's if you where look the heel at the, lands on your head, yeah, right? Edson Barbosa versus Terry Edom fight, where where Edson Barbosa knocked Terry Edom out with a wheel kick in Brazil. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. Oh, yeah. Fucking nasty. Mm. I mean, the heel connected right to the jaw. The consciousness was gone instantly. He fell down like he was dead. Those kind of knockouts, man. How many of those you got in your life? Huh. I mean, do you have five? Do you have a number f- like five and after that you'll never be the same person? Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? We really don't know because it varies per person. Do you see these guys fade sometimes? I mean, you're in there week in and week out mm-hmm. uh, commentating on these UFCs. Do you ever see that, you know, that Terry Adam guy and you're like, wait a second, he's not moving the same way he used to? Uh, no question about it. You, you could see it in their, their speech patterns. Some guys, wow. um, a lot of, you know, look, the underground is a mixed martial arts forum that I frequent. Uh, mixedmartialarts.com, yeah. the best, in my opinion, the best uh, mixed martial arts website in the world. And uh, whatever, dude. One sure of the things, shut up, bitch. And one of one of the things. <laughs> <Sure> uh, <laughs> Have you Sher ever Dogs. been to Sherdog? Sherdog's good too. They're good too. <laughs> They're old school. Uh, it's a great website too. There's just a few too many cunts on the board. Um, they're just a little better at at squashing cuntiness. Although I hear, I shouldn't say that because I hear Sherdog's gotten a lot better about it. Um, anyway, my point is like they're they're ruthless because they're hiding behind anonymous screen names, but sometimes they're accurate. And every now and then they'll put up a video and say, "Is does so and so seem to have brain damage?" And then you listen to him and you're like, "Wow, that guy is struggling." Like there's certain like there was a video with Paul Williams recently where he was, um, you know, Paul Williams the boxer yeah. who got knocked out uh, by Sergio Martinez with a vicious one punch knockout, and then he was in a motorcycle accident which left him paralyzed, and they interviewed him. Uh, in the motorcycle and I was listening to his labored speech and I was like ooh that doesn't sound good that's horrible man yeah I, I met um, I, well I didn't meet him but I was right behind Terry Adam or Terry um, Norris rather when he was talking to a fan once and uh, I was a huge Terry Norris fan when I was a kid he was like one of my favorite boxers and Terry Norris was uh, standing there talking to this dude and I couldn't believe it was real I thought he was hammered drunk or something I thought the only this cannot be real. This cannot be how this guy talks now. Mm-hmm. And so I like inched over close and and listened to um, their conversation. And oh my god, it was so sad. It was the saddest fucking thing to me because being a big fan of this guy and watching his fight so many times, he was you know this really wild dude. And he he got knocked out a few times. And he was one of those guys that was either it was either he would kill or be killed, you know. And uh, he got knocked out by some 
badass dudes like Julian Jackson knocked him out, like fucking scary knockouts. And to see him when he was younger than me at the time and to see him slurring his words like that scared the fucking shit out of me, man. Just scared the shit out of me. You've seen Meldrick Taylor lately? Have you seen that? Horrific. Horrific. Meldrick Taylor was one of the best boxers, you know, to ever come out of the Olympics in his early professional days. He was a fucking wizard. He was so fast. And he had one really, really brutal fight with Julio Cesar Chavez. Mm -hmm. Never the same again. And then Terry Norris knocked him out. A few guys knocked him out, but he's still fighting. And they had an interview uh, with him recently on HBO where they showed him when he was younger talking. And then they showed him today. And it's horrendous. It's it's that is a real reality of combat sports. Do you, do you think the UFC is safe enough now, or do you think in ten years we're going to start seeing blowback? And is there any way other way around that? I mean, humans want to see combat sports, right? Well, look, here's what's safe: you got to get out before you have irreparable damage. That's what's safe. Guys have done it. There's guys who have retired and they're they're fine and healthy. Um, look, Marvin Hagler is apparently in great great health. And, you know, he was a great boxer, but he never got knocked out. He never got fucked up. You know, and Hagler knew after the Sugar Ray Leonard fight, all right, I'm done. This is it. And never came back. Rocky Marciano did the same thing. Got out before he got really fucked up and, and was fine in his later years before he died in a plane crash. But you, you can figure out when, but you have to be, you have to be really smart. And that's hard to do. And it's also, you have to have something that excites you like fighting does. Because these guys... It's not like you can fight and then all of a sudden you can't fight anymore. It's you can fight and you fight just a little less good than you used to. And it fucks with your head. And you're like, you know what, man? I just need to change my training up. I need to incorporate some fucking swimming or something, you know? And you'll try to do that. And then you get knocked out again. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, I was winning that first round until I got caught, you know? And then, then like Jens Pulver is still going at sure, it. Sure, still going at it. Because he's still good enough to stay in the game, but only exactly. just, right? Mm -hmm. Only just. And those, those knockouts, those all become ticket holes holes in your ticket chunk where your ticket gets punched over and over again and how many you got who knows i mean alistair has been stopped a bunch of times but you look at him now he's better than ever Overeem. yeah overing has been yeah. stopped but peter hurts peter hurts has been stopped a gang of times still beat semi schilt two years ago mm -hmm. in the k1 grand prix so it's like some guys they can get stopped a bunch of times and still be okay and other guys not and it's i don't the draw right at the end of the day no one can tell you mm -hmm. no one can tell you know some guys like mark hunt can take a fucking ferocious shot you know, and there's other guys who just they can't take that much punishment. They're built differently. They they, for whatever it's worth, who knows what it is. It was, some person has a glass jaw. The other guy's got an iron jaw. How much of it is psychological? How much of it is physical? It's hard to tell. It's a combination of both, I'm sure. But it's it's not a safe sport. It's a it's as safe as we can make it. But the fighters all realize that there's a certain amount of risk involved. Mm -hmm. You're going to get injured. You're going to get broken bones. You're going to get torn ligaments. You're going to get concussions. You're going to have that in mixed martial arts. There's no way around mm -hmm. that. So in that sense, it's as safe as we can make it. But it's a dangerous sport. So they have to think about that and they have to train with that in mind and they have to understand when it's time to not do it anymore. Yeah, you know what, what really, really pisses difficult. me off is when, like, someone says, oh, the ref shouldn't have stopped the fight. It's like, man, always err on the side of caution when it's someone's brain in jeopardy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I think some guys, you got to let them try to get it. Like Frankie Edgar, perfect example. How do you stop that guy's yeah. fights early? When you see, like, that first <laughs> round. Come back, was it Gray Man or Dan? Two fights oh, in a gosh. row. You see that, and you go, how could you stop that guy's fight? He's, you gotta, you got to look at the individual and his ability to bounce back from punishment. you gotta get a, got to give him the opportunity to win. 
and Frankie's proven time and time again that he can do that. So in that sense, the referee has to be an expert in, in fighters' particular styles and their ability to endure punishment. It's not the best way to, to compete, but with a guy like Frankie Edgar, it's also one of his weapons. One of his weapons is that he's in incredible shape and that he recovers quickly. And, you know, he can wear a guy out because of that. He can drag a guy into some crazy fucking firefight where, you know, he's got a 1,000 bullets and the other guy might only have 400. So, you know, he might think, oh, I got 400 bullets. This guy's fucking dead. Meanwhile, he can keep going, man. And, like, you know, the fourth round with Gray Maynard when he knocked him out. Gosh, it was like, God damn, he's still going. He's still going at the same clip he was going in the first round. And Gray couldn't manage that at that point in his in his career. What's it like behind the scenes at the UFC? I mean, what, what would, what would we be surprised at something you just notice all the time when you're calling those fights at the UFC? I don't know, man. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird job. It's a weird, it's a weird job. Even for me, it's hard to believe that it is my job. Like whenever I do it, it's hard to believe I put on the headphones and they talk to me in the booth. I'm like, what's up? What's up? What's up? You ready to do this? Let's do this. Goldie and I touched knuckles and the first fight, we're going to start in five, four, dur, dur, dur. the music plays and the lights go on. You're like, wow, I guess this is my job. Is you know, it hard, hard to imagine they're, they're paying you to do that? Yeah, it doesn't just... even seem real. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem that I'm the one who's, who represents the, 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 the techniques and I'm the one who explains to people what to look for and what's going on. It's, it's very strange. So even while I'm doing it, I'm, I mean, I'm doing it to the best of my abilities, the best of my knowledge. It's still bizarre as fuck. I, I have a hard time believing it's really happening while I'm doing it. I always tell people we're like you and Goldberg. Like, I'm the Goldberg because like, I got a bunch of questions I got to ask Hancock, for example. Right. And then Nick's kind of like the play-by-play flow. He just like, if he's feeling something, he just asks that question. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I got to get through these things. I got to say the fighter does this, the fighter does this. Next week on Fox, you can watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Goldberg's move. Yeah, it's, and it's a difficult job. He doesn't get nearly as much credit as he deserves. He's really good at that. He's really smooth. People just get upset that he's not a martial artist, but... The bottom line is you really have to be an actual martial artist to do martial arts commentary. Right. There is no way around it. You can't fake it. You can't not know how to take someone's back and explain how he's got to take his back. Mm -hmm. You can't – if you see someone who's doing something, you know, well, I'll see someone occasionally. I'm like, he, you can't let go of that underhook. I'm like, if this guy lets go of that underhook, this motherfucker's going to take his back. Mm -hmm. Like especially a guy like Hani Yaya or someone who's like a super high-level guy. Like Hani Yaya, uh, one of his recent fights, he got side control on this guy. And as soon as he reached back, I'm like, oh, he's going north-south choke. And I called it like several steps ahead. But with a guy like Hani, you can see it. Like I know what he's going to do. You can't let him wrap his arm around your neck. Right. You, you let him reach back with that left arm, you might as well just go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Just take a nap because he's going to choke you. And that's step one of a, a, a three-step process you're not going to be able to stop. Because once he got step one, his, his base is set and you're done. And, you know, you, you got to know that. There's no way you can know that without doing that. Yeah, if you no, listen to the early comment or the commentary on yeah. the early UFCs, it's hysterical because these guys were like boxing commentators and stuff like that. They just had no idea, right? you gotta, you got to – the hardest part to me is the ground game because there's so much – I mean, there's a lot of variables in stand-up for sure. 
there's, it's not that stand-up is easy, but there's infinite variables on the ground. And you have to understand the, the, the various different styles of attacking different positions. Like everybody's got, there are like some guys, they'll go side control on a guy and face towards the feet. And they'll, they'll be like guys who will try to get a guy in a twister or try to get someone's back. And then there's other guys that go judo style. And they're going to look for, you know, the, the, the mounted crucifix. They're going to look to ground and pound. Or they're going to look for a scarf hold or some, mm-hmm. some kind of like Mark Coleman, Mark Coleman did that to Dan Severn. It was like one of the first uh, submissions mm-hmm. in the UFC heavyweight division when he won the, ch- the title. You, 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 you have to see all those. You have to understand those. Mm. You have to be strangled. You have to, you have to get somebody with it. You have to fight it off. You have to, if you don't, you're not going to be able to explain to people what this guy's doing wrong or what he needs to do or what, and that's what makes it more exciting. When, when a guy is doing, like Jimmy Smith is really good at it from Bellator. With Jimmy Smith, if a guy's got someone's back, it's like, he's got to, he's got to defend with his right arm while he's attacking with his left. You know, he'll, he'll explain to people. And if you're a person who's, uh, an amateur or someone who has nothing to do with martial arts, you can watch it and follow along. Oh, I see what that guy's mm-hmm. doing. His right arm's going to choke that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other guy, he's saying he's got to get his leg free. Otherwise, he's going to get, oh, I see. Yeah, he's holding him with his legs. And it, 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 it adds to the excitement. And that's, you can't be a sports guy and do that. You okay. have to be a martial artist. On that note, Joe, what, what's your favorite submission? Um, chokes. Okay. Always chokes. With the collar or No, 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 no. I hate that. I, do you use the I, I don't do yeah, I, I have a black belt under Jean Jacques in the oh, game. Okay. So, yes, but I don't that that. fucking use it. I, 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 I use overhooks and underhooks. I, I believe that if your game is gi oriented, the, the good thing about the gi is defense. Mm-hmm. The good thing about the, the gi is you, you must be technical in your defense. You have to be technical in your attacks. You can't, because a guy gets a hold of your collar or a guy gets a hold of your sleeve, there's a lot of shit they could do to you. We, if you're slippery and with no gi, you could just muscle out of it. But you have to use technique and you have to do it the right way with a gi. So in that so way, the like gi a, is good. You're like a Das and Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. But I think that, um, or rear nakeds and guillotines, mm-hmm. but I think that the beautiful thing about a gi is if you're fighting a guy who's got a coat on. You know, some guy's got a leather jacket on, he's talking shit. Like, all you have to do is grab his collar and he's and dead. He won't know what's happening. Huh? All you have to do is get a hand. He won't even know what you're doing. He'll be trying to punch you and just reach into his <laughs> collar and just. You know what I find interesting? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if you um, remember there was that scientist, there was a. a a group of islands that had different um, monkey tribes on and what was happening is uh, when one monkey on one island learned one learned how to pick a certain banana or open a certain fruit then all the other monkeys learned it yeah. and it's a similar thing with jiu-jitsu like suddenly like you'll just see this new choke in the game that you've never seen before mm-hmm. and then in three months everyone knows yeah. it it's such an interesting thing yeah Darces came along that way mm-hmm. you know yeah that's I what remember. made me think of it actually. yeah so no that front one... kick that Anderson Silva front kick after yeah. he started doing everybody well that was so that. dramatic that was something that everybody saw but what I think what you're saying is that it's just like spreads through schools because people just mm-hmm. figure it out at the same mm-hmm. time because they watch YouTube videos yeah. and yeah, some yeah, guy yeah. uses it in a it's like a meme yeah, yeah it sometimes well there's also one technique like there'll be like like a new technique that it like one of them was attacking from the half guard one of the things that opened up the darts was that a lot of people were attacking from the half yeah. guard and they were going with the double underhooks attack mm-hmm. and when they were going with a double underhooks attack a lot of guys were sneaking their arms yeah. in and then all of a sudden it became anaconda chokes darts chokes it became that's what people were going for it's, because it's a whole was, new subset of the yeah, art basically yeah and it was basically to to deal with underhooks that a guy, you know, if, so if you're in a, a guy's, uh, you're on the side of a guy, like maybe in half guard, and a guy like, has a really strong underhook, if you, you know that if you get your arm under his underhook and pass his neck and connect your arms together, now he's in a bit of trouble. 
you just put yourself in a dangerous situation. Like you're trying to be very offensive, but in allowing me to wizard your underhook and pass by your neck, now you've allowed me to control mm. your neck. Now I've got a position on you. And now, especially if you go Japanese necktie, which is one of the new moves that a lot of guys are doing now. See, of, I've never even heard of that. Ooh, I got to show it to you. Yeah, it's the yeah, shit. It sounds cool. It's, it's way more high. It's way more um, <laughs> high percentage. <laughs> way more high percentage than uh, than a Dars. Let me ask you a question, Joe. You, you um, control the guy's head. I want to ask chest. you a question about London and uh, and what you think of London. Well, he, I think he was going. Yeah. First. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I always <laughs> cut him off on the show. I'm always like, no. It's hard to do that, right? We people only have think an hour you're, left. you're rude to like to like uh, you know to cut people off, but you know, you're not meaning to. It's just like you have a thought, and if you don't it's say it, sometimes out. it escapes and it oh. gets away from you because the conversation. Derivatives. Uh, well, I have, I have, I have two, dude. I'm sorry, I got, I got okay, two. I'll quick. never forgive myself. So the first one is, um, do you think if you got in a time machine and traveled 100 years into the future and then walked into a jiu-jitsu academy, do you think you'd still be able to hang? Like I'd using, get, I'd get killed. Do you think so? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. unless unless uh, they were fucking terrible, I'd fuck up some white belts. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and then, uh, the, <laughs> but I think black belts. Well, black belts, the really good black belts. I'm, a, you know, I'm a weak black belt, like objectively. Like I'm strong. Don't get me wrong. I'm uh, I have strong jujitsu. But as far as like high end black belt guys, I used to get tapped. You know, Fair it's enough. just it's just reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a world champion. I don't have the time to put into that. To in order, I have much more potential. I mean, if I really had the time to train five days a week and and get a strength and conditioning, I think I could jump my game up big. I think my my mind is way more ahead of my body. It's just I don't have the time to do it. I don't have the time to put in the numbers between having a family and doing stand-up, doing a podcast, and traveling for the UFC. It's hard to try. I train as much as I can, and when I train, I do I give 100%. Are you still writing a book? Yeah, yeah, I just got to... Do you feel like you need to get a book out of you? No, um, I I would like to do it. I have a a lot of shit already written, and I will eventually put it out. But right now, I'm, I'm... concentrating on my new studio and my stand-up special which is going to be out at the end of the month and the end of october is that already in the can yeah it's already in the can it's just a matter of the website getting built which is it takes a lot longer than you think to have a nice website made okay so that's being made and then um just to get the infrastructure in place distributed i i found out somewhere along the line that when i do too many things at the same time i don't have any fun and everything enjoy everything suffers family and everything yeah well i won't let that suffer so the things that suffer are other aspects of my career so i limit the amount of shit that Mm -hmm. i do so once this stand-up special's out and i cannot think about that boom then i'm diving full into writing um writing the book because I already have to, I have to balance it out with writing stand-up, which right now is more important because my special is about to drop, and I have a whole new hour that I've basically put together right. between the time I did the special and now. What do you want from your stand-up? Like in five years from now, I mean, do you want to see like bigger audiences, or do you ever have goals like that? No, no. Um, I'm super happy with the way. If if nothing changed at all, then uh, other than the way it is right now, if it just maintained, uh, I'd be the happiest person on earth. I have the greatest audiences in the history of the, 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 the art form. It's the craziest thing ever. I wish you guys could come to see some of these crowds because they're crazy. And it's mostly podcast fans. It's mostly people who don't just resonate with the idea of comedy, but resonate with the idea that there's someone out there that's also confused by all this. And there's someone out there that's being honest about all of it. And those people, I've, I've, I've sort of found, I've found a huge amount of them because of this podcast. And I don't 
I don't desire anything more than that. It's already I'm, I'm uh, just having all the people come up to me after shows, all the people that tell me they've lost weight, you know, all the people that tell me they've got their shit together, that they've they're living their life like they're the hero in their own story. I love that. It, it's, analogy. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to awesome. think of it. Yeah, it was, and it should yeah. be like the blockbuster moment in the movie every day. Yeah, you should yeah. be doing that. You, you should, should be saving the girl. You, you should can be. do that. You could you could be uh, you could literally do what the hero would do. You know, and it doesn't mean you know rescue babies out of burning buildings. It means don't be a cunt. Right. Figure out a way to get your shit together. Don't don't be someone who's just slacking off and jerking off while behind you is a mountain of work to do. You know, get 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 your stuff done. Do it. Do it. Do be someone who you would admire. And that's something that I I had to learn on my own slowly over a long period of time. But in reiterating that on the podcast, just like in teaching jujitsu, it's become like very concrete in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, have another very deep and meaningful question I, I want your input on. In fact, me and my jujitsu buddies debate about this all the time, and uh, some of them want your 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 input, which is. Um, what do you think would win in a fight out of a silverback gorilla and a Bengal tiger? Tiger. Tiger would so. kill that gorilla. Come on, man. A gorilla, gorilla wouldn't even have a chance. Claws. See, I say Everything gorilla, man. You know, a gorilla bite. can rip a, a car tire in half with its mm. bare hands, Good luck right? with that shit where that tiger's got your back and it's choking your neck <laughs> off. With a giant I refuse really to debate so. this. <laughs> I don't think the tiger would fuck with the gorilla because it's not going to be easy. I think it's going to be a struggle. That's why gorillas nest on the ground. You know, gorillas don't give a fuck. They, they're 500 pounds and they're five foot four. They have no natural predators. Yeah, they, they're so strong. Mm. I mean, we can't even wrap our heads around mm. how strong they are. Because chimps are strong as fuck. And gorillas would rape a chimp yeah. with their little one-inch dick. You know, gorillas have tiny dicks. Didn't know that. Because they're so dominant. They don't have any pressure from other males. And the women, the female gorillas, are so in line with how everything's supposed to be. They're not sluts at all. Female chimps are whores. They will fuck anybody who comes around, and male chimps know this, so male chimps have giant testicles. And the reason why they have giant testicles is they always got to be ready to go with a big fat load for one of these dirty bitches. <laughs> Dude, I'm so that's glad a we part came of, on the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's a part of uh, the, the chimp world. And all you, animals that uh, live in promiscuous societies, all, they all have large testicles, including human beings. There's a direct correlation between the size of a man's testicles and the uh, whether or not... Yeah, 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 the promiscuity of the women yeah. in your environment. When when you go into Africa on safari? I know you always said you're scared of Africa. There's no real safari, dude. You, you can go, go to Botswana. You, yeah, but you know where you go, dude? Shit. You go to these wildlife sort of containment areas where, you know, you everybody can go actually gets out there. in a, no, yeah, that's that's a good out, way to in die. South Africa, you can go to proper safari. In Botswana, you can go. Yeah, you can also get nowhere. eaten by a lion. There was a, yeah. a, a whole fucking uh, <laughs> story recently about uh, these two female lions that broke into a house and pulled a guy out of the shower. He was showering. He was naked showering, and he got killed by two female the females. Females do all the they do yeah. all the hunting. Yeah, the males just sit around. Crazy. Could you wrap your head around it? Uh, so you you're not going to Africa. Bar of soap, <laughs> la di da, di da di da, and you you hear something. You open the fucking curtain. There's two lions in the oh bathroom God, with yeah. you. Two female lions, and they just put the beating on you, son. Rip you to shreds, <laughs> drag you out. Okay, what's yeah, a better so way to go? Africa, basically, well, enough, what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> Africa can suck my dick, okay? I, I I'm not going to where all the scary animals live. Because I'm bears. <laughs> so, so, Joe, if you have to choose a way to die, like, would you no? rather be in the, in the water with a great white or in land with a all lion? Right, enough, of the, enough of these questions. <laughs> no, you're not going to one-if me into a fucking heart attack. <laughs> I'm fucking scared of all of them, man. I'm scared of tigers. I'm scared of sharks. I'm scared of everything, dude. 
So, I'm scared of all that shit. Joe, by so, the way, that ancient alien documentary amazing. thing that you s- tweeted, t- did you watch the whole thing? Yes, I, I watched, I the watched whole, all three great. hours. Yeah, I should, I should give that guy um, props. Um, yeah. There's a, a video that I tweeted yesterday. Today is October the 2nd, and if you go to uh, uh, the October the 1st feed, um, I, I tweeted this video where this guy, he must have like massive autism because <laughs> this guy went and debunked every single point that ancient aliens has ever put forth about how humans could have never built this. This is impossible. He fucking stomped a dirty mud hole <laughs> in every fucking show that they've ever done. And he did it. It's over three hours long. It's on YouTube and there's what no question... It? No question. No question. This like guy, you watch it, you're like, okay, yeah. This it's is. so good. It said, just go to Ancient Aliens Debunked, and you want full movie fixed audio. That's the version. The other one had a little weird glitch in the audio, but it's still, it's still, you can still watch it. It's still excellent. And it's called, the guy's YouTube name is, what is it? Verse by Verse BT. That's it. It's one word. Verse by verse, BT. That is his uh, his YouTube page, and it's a brilliant job. Whoever this guy is, thank you very much because what you did is you cleared up so much confusion. And for me, there was a lot of stuff that I really didn't understand. There's still some stuff that hasn't been explained. There's uh, some of the things about Pumapunku and uh, the way they uh, they f- move stones and fit them in. I think it's very interesting. Um, that you know that this guy was able to find so many pieces of evidence yeah. that point to how they did certain things and explain how they built obelisks and giant stones and and show ones that were in the process of being made when they abandoned so you can clearly see how they did it wow. fascinating and also he had some in brilliant insight on the construction of the pyramids that I had never heard before about the theory of the internal ramp because the question has always been like how they how they place the stones how did they move them into place and uh, they actually did some sort of a um uh like an x-ray of the uh with some radio wave yeah. graph of the pyramid and you can actually see the internal ramp and they didn't understand what that was when they first um made this uh this reading of the the actual structure of the pyramid of giza until this internal ramp theory came into play and this guy examines the internal ramp theory and shows all the evidence for it including areas of this the pyramid where uh at certain points you could actually go in through the side of the pyramid there's a hole and you can go in and see where there's all this space in there mm-hmm. and most likely that's how that was built what does Graham Hancock that's, say that's what I want to know yeah. well either way the, the, this listen this this um, ancient aliens debunking what it does is explain how all these things were done. What it doesn't explain is how they figured this out. What it doesn't explain right. is what kind of intense mathematics were involved in the equations of 2,300,000 stones, each, one of, each of them cut so perfectly that they meet exactly in a point at the top. It's trippy. It's amazing. And I mean, more importantly, it doesn't explain why they did these things. It doesn't explain that, and it doesn't explain where they got the knowledge from. It explains how they did it. And it, what, how they did it was, it was certainly, it took a long time. It certainly was incredibly difficult. It certainly required master craftsmen and builders and, and, and skillful labor. But the knowledge to construct it is what's really fascinating because that is what Graham Hancock points to. Is that is not that 
he doesn't believe that this was a, a like aliens came down and gave people information like the ancient aliens guys do. What he believes is what's ba- backed by real evidence, and that evidence is that there was a very sophisticated culture that existed all over the world somewhere around 10,000 BC, and that something probably happened to those people, and we had to start a lot of things over again. And coincidentally, this time period that Graham Hancock points to, which is about 10,000 plus BC, is the exact same time period that the most recent discoveries of glass, impact glass from meteor showers has been discovered at the same layer of dirt all over the world. So scientists are absolutely convinced, and this is fairly recently, that there was incredibly destructive meteor showers around 12,000 years ago. And they found these in France. They found this glass in the Middle East. And when they do soil samples, it's all on the same, I believe it's called the same strata. I think that's how they Mm -hmm. they describe it. The same area where they know, you know, the the way they do the calculation stuff, how how old it is. And when they do uh, carbon testing on that area. And they believe that some where 12,000 years ago, that's when the ending, the end, the ice age ended. That's when um, all this mass extinction, it's all around the same time of woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers. It's all in the same sort of area. Um, and they could all be, they could all coincide. So what we have in ancient Egypt is not simply an amazing culture that in 2,500 BC built the pyramids. It might very well be that 10,000 BC, they built the Sphinx. And 10,000 BC, they had massive stone structures already in place back when we thought that people were just hunter-gatherers. That's that's the basis of Graham Hancock's thoughts on it. And every day, he's being proven correct. Mm. The more people discover about ancient civilizations, the more Graham Hancock is correct. He's a powerful man. No, we had him on the show. We were in awe of that. It's amazing. Just a a lovely human being, too. Just a great guy. You know, just exudes it. Mm. You know, he's like the perfect representative, in my opinion, of what can be accomplished through psychedelics and thinking and, and, and just his, his take on his own work and his take on, you know, the, 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 the difficulty in trying to express these very controversial ideas. It's amazing. He's very That's brave. He's very honest. I don't know if you watched the show brave, with us, honest. but he, I talk, did. he talked about the 24 years that he was smoking cannabis and how the ayahuasca told him and... He just dropped that right on us in the episode and just like, man, I have a, a lot of respect for someone who can just be that honest about themselves. That's, that's the kind of guy you want running your country, man. I, I just, yeah. yeah, he's no longer a writer or an archaeologist. He was like a, he's a, great, a, man. a great mind. Great yeah. man. He's a great yeah. man. And he changed the way I looked at history. That book, Fingerprints of the Gods, mm. changed the way I look at history. And I'm pretty convinced now, especially due to the most recent geological evidence and the discoveries of things like Gobekli Tepe, which is this 14,000-year-old massive compound of huge nine-foot-tall stone columns. This really um, – or excuse is it 19? I think it might be 19-foot-tall stone foot. columns. It's got to be bigger than nine because yeah, nine yeah. wouldn't – But what, it is still amazing because 14,000 years ago, people were supposed to be hunter-gatherers. Right. There wasn't supposed to be any sort of civilization like this. We are supposed to be living in fucking teepees and shit. You know? Then he's showing that there's these huge stone structures, by the way, which they've only uncovered less than 4% of, I believe, because it's a painstaking process of – Uncovering because you know they've got to do it with toothbrushes mm. and shit. They've got to sift through the sand and find bone fragments and pottery fragments and, and things along those lines. But what they do know about Gobekli Tepe is that it was covered up 14,000 years ago. 
covered up, purposely covered up. They literally buried a whole fucking city. 14,000 years ago. Maybe. Intentionally, maybe. Wow. Intentionally. They did intentionally. They know they did. Because the type of landfill that they used, the type, they used a, a, a type of, they filled in the area. They're convinced of this. They've, you know, I don't know how they can figure that out, but do they're you pretty much in agreement. Go to that. those sites? I mean, do you ever want to go to the pyramids and check I've them out? I've been to Chichen Itza. That's the only place I've ever been Where's to. That South show? America. That's, that's Mexico. Mexico, okay. Yeah, it's near Cancun. Fucking amazing, man. It's amazing. It's incredible. It uh, feels, feels different when you're there. You can feel oh, there's something about it. Right? Freaky, beyond freaky. Mm-hmm. Just to think that you're walking in this area, and as I'm looking around, I, I remember just standing there um, and just thinking that at one point in time, this was like this was a football field, and they were playing that crazy game where they kicked this ball through a hole, which it devolved yeah. to uh, they believe that they might have played it with human heads at one point yeah, in time. And, and just the one area where they have uh, the sacrificial uh, altar where they would kill someone and cut their heart out and throw the heart down the stairs. I mean, they had it. You could go there. You could touch that altar. You, wow. could, you could walk up this stone staircase. Does it feel really well, negative? when you're, like, It just feels weird. Yeah. It's like they, these guys went. Dark. Hancock's <laughs> new book is about his new fictional piece is about that whole period. Region, and he's, yeah. Oh my gosh, oh, he's really? talked about it on the show, and we were like, he talks about eighty thousand people being slaughtered in four days for oh. ceremonial purposes, and he was. I was just like, oh yeah, was, god, just listening to the story was terrifying. He was actually yeah, thousand people they yeah, slaughtered in four yeah. days, and he said just the rivers of blood and the, oh the, the, the human god. sacrifice. I guess they would fatten people up in pens for days and weeks on end yeah. in order to sacrifice for like a brand new monument, and just the concept of you being there, fattened up with your family when you know. You're just going to be have just to be used to have your heart pulled out of your body and yeah. shown, and then human beings the are capable fuck? of some fucked up shit, dude. And the crazy yeah. thing is, it's like, how did they go from the people that were so incredibly sophisticated that they built these structures that were aligned to the cosmos? I mean, they were aligned to they directly correlate a lot of them do with constellations. Like they understood yeah. the alignment of certain stars. They understood. The prediction of lunar eclipses, like a thousand years in the future, they had figured out. So they had this incredible knowledge of astronomy, and they they had figured out and and recorded a lot of like really incredible shit. And yet they were killing eighty thousand fucking people in a couple of days. Light and dark always go together, right? Is that what it is? I mean, is I feel like it's. I've been talking about this lately on stage too about the real problem with the nuclear bombs that the guy who pressed the button never didn't build it doesn't understand it, didn't create it, didn't invent nuclear explosions, didn't f- figure out how to split the atom, didn't construct the whole piece. He doesn't... Didn't he's, see he, what radiation All he has to do is like. come along yeah. and press yeah. his button. Well, it's Opp- almost, Oppenheimer, it, who worked on the Manhattan Project in New Mexico, he was had big moral dilemmas about creating the atom bomb. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he later died from cancer. I think it was throat, throat cancer from being radioacted uh, when he was working on it. But he was really troubled his whole life. Yeah, well, do you remember what he said? He said when they tested the first nuclear bomb, the very first explosion, he quoted the Bhagavad Gita. He said, I, I, am, I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Mm. So he said, like, uh, at the first, because he knew what he had done. He's like, oh, imagine? shit. He's got to have some serious combo. He could have just slacked off for a, probably a few nights of work and not created it. Well, see, the thing like, who, the people who can create it would not be the people who created it. The people who can create it would be the people who go, you know, if you, if you just understand how, 
Adam's work, if you got in there and split this and did this, and like that, you could thing. do. Uh, you shouldn't do it, but if you did, what you could do is you could fucking have the incredible destructive power. Don't do it, but if you wanted to do it, that's what you would do. It's like the warrior or the the general, the military man who would drop a fucking atomic bomb on a building in and in, in, on a city is way too fucking stupid to ever figure out how to make that thing. It's like the mentality to figure out how to make. An atomic bomb is completely different than the mentality that you would just drop one out of a plane. That's do you think Aminajad, if he had a nuclear bomb, would, would launch it on Israel? Or do you think even Aminajad knows, I, I, I don't want to be the guy that does this, this destructive act? This is what I think. I think that when you have nuclear power or any sort of mass destructive power, it's a lot like the military equivalent of winning the lottery. You didn't really earn that. You just have it. You just have it and you're going to spend it. And you're going to spend it with no regard. You're going to spend it not knowing the consequences. You're, you're, you're a child with a grown-up toy. You, you haven't developed this thing. You've just, you've just got access to it. The same way some asshole who doesn't really understand cars can somehow or another just go into a Chevy dealership and buy a Corvette ZR1 with 648 horsepower and just fucking stomp on it and slam it right into a tree, that moron should have never had access to that kind of power or never have access to that kind of ability to move so quickly with his own decision-making. He can decide whether or not to run the red lights and whether or not to just drive his car right into a fucking mall parking lot and smash into cars. You can can do anything you want when you have a, a Corvette. You die, but if you could choose to just drive into traffic, if you're fucking crazy, there's something weird about our ability in, in contrast to what we understand or what we have earned, the power that we've earned. Like if you build a bow and arrow, okay, if you're a tribesman, you're out there in the woods, you build a bow and arrow, you craft it, and you develop your aim, and then you use it, and you hunt and kill an animal. I mean, that is, that's fair trade. I mean, you've really, like, you've earned all of those steps. You've that's really earned that's all good. those. But if you drop a nuclear bomb in a lake and then start pulling out fish, we got all the fish we need. You know, you're just some fucking asshole with a nuclear bomb. Like you, you, you can't build one of those on your own. On a similar note, like that's why um, I mean, I've been told the best, the best uh, war leaders or the best generals are the ones who've come up through the ranks because they've seen combat. They know what it means to send people onto a battlefield. Whereas the guy who just went to West Point and never fired a shot in his life. It's easy for him to say, like, send in the troops because he doesn't know the direct consequences of that, right? I think that's one of the reasons why they like people that get into office that aren't like Wesley Clark or aren't like John McCain. People that, that, you know, essentially they're chicken hawks. Guys like George Bush, guys like Dick Cheney. The ones who are the biggest warmongers are the ones who never experienced it Mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a guy like John McCain would be far more reluctant to use a military strategy knowing that there's boys out there that could have been just like him. You know, a guy like like Wesley Clark would certainly um, be far more reluctant to take... you know, the lives of these young soldiers for granted because at one point in time that was him. Colin Powell was really good about that in the first yeah. Iraqi invasion because he had spent so long in Vietnam and he'd seen the mission creep there and like how it lasted forever and ever and he was really adamant, it's just let's go in and get the hell out. What's mission least, creep, Brian? It's when you don't have a defined uh, outcome of a mission. You're not like, we're going to go in and do X, Y, and Z. We're going to go in and wait until there's peace or we're going to defeat terrorism. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's no, there's no specific uh, end to that to that yeah, mission. It's happening in Afghanistan. 
it's happened in Iraq and yeah yeah that's the idea that we're slowly you know empowering our bases out there and building up and that's what we're doing right now with Iran you know what with what we're doing with Iran is we're slowly moving battleships into that area and you know it's it's getting pretty scary Iran's a crazy unique case there's a, a website I want you to check out sometime called stratfor.com s t r a t f o r and and they're really big into this thing called geopolitics which is basically every nation is built on kind of their geography as well and they just talk about how Iraq's built up in a very mountainous way and it's in no one's interest to go in there cuz it's such a mess to do that and I hope we don't anyways cuz we don't really have any business you mean Iran. doing that. Uh, no, sorry, Iran, yeah, of course, yeah. Iran, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. We don't have business doing it. It's nuts. They certainly shouldn't develop nuclear arms. Who knows if they even are? Who knows if they're even, they even are trying? You know, it, it, I, I assume they probably are, but it could be propaganda. Mm-hmm. It could be just one of those things where we just need that, that area, that path to bring our oil through. You know, and that's what that's what supposedly what the, this whole fucking thing is about. It's a great trump card. I mean, North Korea has used this threat of a nuclear device to keep them alive for like 20 years. And they keep bargaining. They're like, we're going to bargain this month. And then they don't. And But it's kept them kind of relevant just having this one weapon. So I think that's why countries the, want it. The whole world's a mess. I mean, <laughs> real fuck. It's a bit frustrating sometimes. <laughs> it really is. And <laughs> Leave more podcasts. Well, yeah, well, d- believe it or not, that sounds stupid, right? Like, boy, how grandiose are we? We think we're going to change the world. The only way you can change the world is to influence young people so that the young people who go through the ranks don't imitate all the crusty old fuckheads mm. that have been running things in these archaic ways because that's just the way things always were done. And communication yeah. is super important. Communication and access to information. This is a different world. This is not a world where you can bullshit people quite as easily. Right. Like if your ideas were going to the Iranian public and they listen to your podcast, and similarly, maybe if there was a crazy Iranian podcast and we could listen to their leaders, I just think communicating would get us at least in the right direction. Well, I bet my podcast does reach a lot of Iranians, I and does. I bet there's a lot of Iranians who have their own podcast just like London Real. You know, I think I, I, I got to assume that that this is not going to stop here. This I think what's going on with podcasts and with especially with the just the free ability to distribute information and to, to, to communicate, not even distribute information, but just even to talk on the Internet to, to discuss things, to, to review things. It's never existed like this before. There's never been a time in human history where a guy could be doing something like my podcast in L.A. and you guys in London could be listening to it when you're going jogging. I mean, mm-hmm. the, where the fuck has that been yeah, a, a part? We get like emails from people in Denmark. That we, Taiwan. Yeah, you know what I mean? us yes. too, yeah. And it's and Five years ago, we couldn't cheap. have done that. It's cheap. Yeah. It's not hard to do. Yeah. It's not like we had to spend billions of dollars and put satellites in orbit and figure out how to, you know, figure out how to get our message to people and it goes over on a fucking horseback and you know you gotta you gotta <laughs> decipher it. You gotta hire a local guy who speaks the language. No, it's, it's it's fucking easy as shit, man. It's really easy, and this is not gonna change. I think that you know what the crazy thing is is the internet was originally um, the, Dep- the Department of Defense project, yeah. and now it's gonna it's gonna bite them in the <laughs> ass, right? It's gonna, but it's yeah. not. It's, right. it's they, look, we forward, need them right? still. We need them still. We just don't need them as a daddy, okay? No man needs another man as a fucking daddy. You know, what we need is camaraderie and we need community. We, we need the government to rethink what they really are. They are one of us. They're, we're all in this together. It's not like the Stanford prison uh, studies where they, you know, took college kids and they had some of them become guards and some of them become prisoners and you immediately see corruption and abuse. 
It doesn't have to be prisoners and guards. It shouldn't be, but that's what it is. We have a government that's set up that's not a part of our community, that's not one of us. We have instead people that are trying to tell us what to do or that or will lock you up. And they suck at what they do. They suck. They're incompetent and they're shitty at their job, so they like to hide. They like to uh, hide information. They like to make it really hard for you to get a hold of anything that shows that they suck at their job. And when you bust them sucking at their job and you distribute that information, you become an enemy of the state, like WikiLeaks. I mean, stop and think about what WikiLeaks has done. WikiLeaks, in releasing that collateral murder video, let people know how calloused war can make regular good Americans and turn soldiers into people that don't care, don't care that innocent people got gunned down in the street and that make jokes and, and talk lightly about machine gunning vans filled with people, yeah. including children. I mean, this is, this is fact. You watch that video. It makes you feel bad for the guys who are shooting. It makes you feel bad for the people on the ground. The whole thing makes you feel bad because the whole thing is just off. It's just wrong and crazy and not what we want when we think about the United States of America in a proud way. We think of ourselves as being the, you know, a noble country, a country filled with people that uh, are rugged individuals that figured out a way to escape from the monarchy of England and come over here and, and do it on our own. And this time we're going to have freedom and we're going we're gonna to have the Constitution and we're going to make sure that we have rules in place so that corruption can... And then you see just massive amounts of corruption. And we were there 40, 50 years ago. I mean, we had a guest, uh, well, we had the, okay, I guess we had a guest on two weeks ago and we talked about Islam. He's a Muslim guy who lives in Britain. He's from Pakistan. And he was like, Brian, when I grew up in the early 80s, late 70s, it's like, we had all these wonderful ideas of what the US, it was something good. Maybe we were also anti-Soviet at the time. I don't know. We also didn't have the internet. That's a big part of it. We didn't know. No one knew about... people didn't know what we were doing? Operation Northwoods, man. That was in the 1960s. In the 1960s, they were going to blow up airplanes and they were going to throw bombs and uh, attack uh, Guantanamo Bay and they were going to blame it on Cubans so that we could go to war with Cuba. And that's that's a fact. The Freedom of Information Act has released all the documents. It wasn't a pipe dream. It was signed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But do we have a less favorable view globally now, America, than, say, 30 years ago? Yes, because of the Internet and because of the Iraq War, the Iraq War and Afghanistan and and the the subsequent damage. And then, of course, in other countries with the drone attacks, you know, and look, I don't know how much of a threat Al Qaeda is. I don't understand. I'm not I'm not privy to that information. They don't let us. You know, we're not uh, we don't get access to. I don't know how many different attacks on America they've they've they haven't had a second successful attack since 9-11, which is crazy. It is crazy. But it's also crazy that anybody wants to attack us in the first place. Why are they mad? And with George Bush, the only nonsense we ever got is. They hate our freedom. And you're like, you motherfucker. That's it? Yeah. They hate our freedom? Water does. I always wonder if America as a sovereign entity, if it was actually attacked, which has never really been on its own soil, except for 9-11, but that was, and okay, Hawaii. two planes in a building. All right, Hawaii. All right, guys, you're <laughs> killing me. But w- would everyone bond together? Or as you said earlier, is it a nation that's not that's fragmented? I mean, if Louisiana got attacked, would, be, would LA people be like, oh, fuck you guys? Or would you get drafted and sign your kids up to go and die? To defend those That's borders. A good question. Well, after 9-11, what happened here was everywhere you go, you would see flags, American flags. Yeah. Like within the first couple months after 9-11, 
everyone's car had a flag yeah, on it. Yeah, Manhattan, too. I was there. It was, it was fucking fuck. nuts, man. Especially in New York where everyone's yeah. an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you talk yeah. about it. Yeah. It's one place where people are just, but they were friendly all of a sudden, It right? was weird. In a creepy it way? Real, it was weird. It was real weird. I remember going to New York. We went maybe a year after September 11th, and it was still, like, reverberating. It was the ripples and aftershocks of 9-11. People were way nicer than they'd ever been before. Way more friendly, way, way more humble, way more respectful for law enforcement and firefighters. They were really yeah. respectful but to law enforcement. But it didn't last. Maybe we need but, a, but it's uh, not human like for that it to on last. a global scale for us to pull together as a species. You know, maybe an asteroid does need to hit the Earth, and a quarter of the population has to die. So we all go, "Fucking hell, we need each other. We got to stop being cunts to each other." It's unfortunate yeah. that in this model of civilization, it doesn't seem like there's any other way for us to learn other than shit falling apart. Mm-hmm. It's not like we can just look at things and say, "Hey, listen." Obviously, we're doing this wrong, and we're going to have to figure out how to do it right. right. And one in the process of figuring out how to do things right, there's a lot of shit that's going to go away. And one of the things is people who have billions of dollars. You're not going to have billions of dollars anymore because it's not the, your money's nonsense. Okay, your money is basically a bunch of fucking things that are in a bank somewhere. And instead, what we got to f- seek to do is we got to seek to have a resource-based economy, a real resource-based economy. Then we got to figure out who owns these resources and how should these resources really be distributed. So should somebody be able to camp in front of a diamond hole in the earth and say, this is my fucking hole, these are my diamonds. It's like John Fresco's long last son. Do you you really own those diamonds? Do you really own that gold? Do you really own that oil well? Like who's, Who's to say that these resources are yours? Should it not be that the resources are what powers our economy? Should it not be that the resources instead are what powers our government and that no one really owns them and that they're distributed to all the people that claim the earth is their home? And that sounds crazy, hippie, nonsense, socialist. But the reality is... You shouldn't be able to fucking build a giant machine and park it 10 miles off Louisiana in the middle of the ocean and just suck billions of dollars out of the earth and then not give any of that back. And then say, this is all ours. We're getting all right. We're sucking all. You're, you're draining the earth like a giant mosquito bat vampire thing. No accountability. Just when you put it that not way. only no account- accountability, you're making money off the earth. Billions of dollars, and you're making it off the earth in international waters, or you're making it in national waters, or you're making it in a bay, or who the fuck is, why is that yours? Like, what's yours? Because you, you, you got a, a contract to build this giant sucking machine, and where's that money going? That's a lot of money. You can control a lot of shit with that money. Mm. When you're making billions and billions and billions of dollars off of oil money, man, you know what kind of fucking power you have to buy lobbyists? You know what kind of power you have to influence legislator, le- legislation? You have a lot of fucking power. Imagine if you could zero out all the bank accounts in the world. Look, that scene well, in Fight Club at the end. It yeah, is. Yeah, and, yeah. and when we had the financial crisis in London in 2008, apparently RBS, one of the banks at Royal Bank of Scotland, they were one day away from shutting off the ATM machines. Wow. And they Whoa. were saying, Seriously? if you've ever thought of a food riot, if you can think of people not being able to touch their money. Oh, my God. Apparently, it was just, yeah. I mean, that would be some mayhem. Yeah, that would be some mayhem. And, you know, it's happened in little small doses with the collapse of, uh, in in America, it's happened a bunch. There's a savings and loan collapse that George Bush's son was involved in that was a huge scandal that, you know, cost people millions and millions of dollars. A lot of people's personal fortunes were completely erased. Their entire life, Vinny Pazienza, the boxer, he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just gone, disappeared. Sorry, we don't have it anymore. 
you know, and that's uh, that's what a, a part of this financial bailout was in this in this country. The most recent one was trying to avoid something like that happening with all these big banks failing. But at the end of the day, you, if you're going to have a society that is well designed, you can't use an infrastructure that is not well designed and maintain it. The, the 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 structure that we have now is so fucked up and corrupt and crazy. And the cracks are starting to show as well. Big yeah, time. it's it's like having a giant building made out of cardboard. Instead of just acknowledging it, you're just throwing duct tape up everywhere it starts to separate. You, we, we've got to figure out a way for it to to be a, a society that makes sense. And the way that that's gonna, ha- the only way that's gonna happen is. You've got to restructure finance. You've got to restructure what money really is. You've got to restructure how much money and how much, uh, how much people get paid to do certain jobs. Because like, most people are fucking slaves. They're just slaves yeah. with a. They have a loose collar on. They're slaves because of. And you know, by the way, that's your choice. You cannot do that. You can. I agree with all that. You know, you cannot be burdened by you know a home and, and mortgage and, and and finances and and you know uh, car payments and all that stuff. But you know what would really be better? How about if you do actually work all day, you get paid enough so that you could save money and you don't have to worry about shit. You get paid enough so that you don't have to worry about being constantly in debt. The idea of owning a house shouldn't be out of someone's reach. It should be fairly fucking acquirable. That would make a lot more sense. We just live in this really corrupt system of loans and interest and just nonsense, number shuffling and I can tell you're craziness. I, I just don't know how we're going to get there without exactly. blood you're, everywhere. You're right. That's it. I don't know either. A, or massive enlightenment mm-hmm. and that massive enlightenment look something happened for sure during the 60s and a lot of people attributed to psychedelic drugs and um, the music changed the culture changed yeah. the society changed listen to the doors recently yeah like, that's that's a big leap from buddy holly man it's yeah. a big leap something happened and that was a, a media form back then i was mm-hmm. telling nick the other day how yeah, do you spread a message without the internet you do it over music and you listen to morrison's lyrics and you're like oh, changed shit. kids yeah. it changed kids that's yeah. one of the big things i guess the closest, you're right, you're right. the closest thing to joe back in the day in the 60s and 70s was you know that black sabbath song war pigs yeah. Um, oh man! I mean, Red Band, can you pull that up? Da-da. Da-da. Yeah. yeah, just a message through the through the music. But you're always talking about like, get the kids to change first. Is that your only? It, everybody, man, everybody that I talk to that comes up to me and says, "Dude, this podcast has changed my life. You changed the way I look at things. Changed the way I approach my life." I realize that this this is not a permanent experience. Mm. This is supposed to be a ride, an enjoyable time, a finite time that I can manage. And if I just stick to a certain amount of principles a certain series of principles rather go towards what you love actually do what you want to do be nice to people have a close-knit circle of friends love them as if you love yourself to try to really move in that direction is possible for all of us and that's that's the way you change the world the way you change the world is you change the way people look at things so that, that nobody wants to be the the big cunt in charge yeah. because the big cunt in charge leaves a shit life you know, these guys, look, we live in a world where when kids get crazy and, and they make a lot of noise and they're, they're fucking hard to deal with, people give these kids antidepressants. They give them Ritalin. They give them, you know, all kinds of different crazy shit. Then when they get a, uh, to be adults, then they're even more fucked up and 
sad and disconnected with their shitty lives. So then we give them antidepressants. Mm. We give them more things to, to, to help them get, get over this little mental hump. And then their dick stops working. What do they do? Well, we come up, we got Cialis and Viagra and Levitra and all sorts of pills that make your dick hard. Well, you know, well, some fucking, this, this stuff isn't helping me anymore. Oh, we got some other stuff that you add on to your antidepressant. You take this as well as that. And this is really going to put you over the top. And that's really going to make you happy. And we constantly keep looking for some sort of a, a, a chemical fix for 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 depression and for for the lack of good feelings in this life. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's certainly people that have mental imbalances and they are helped by pharmaceutical drugs, by antidepressants. But that notwithstanding, there is also people that are getting a very bad signal from their life because they're living a life that is non-harmonious. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. It's not filled with love and joy. They're not pursuing their true interests. And everybody's interest is fucking different. And our natural state is to be joyful and, and calm and happy. And if you look at those, all those stories of when people encounter most indigenous cultures, Everyone's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone's there's also people that love to be depressed, okay? And there's people that revel in depression, take pride in depression. Unfortunately, people that have criticized me for talking about depression, even on my own message board, some fucking dummies wrote some stupid shit. It was so st- it was so poorly thought out listening. Does anybody get furious when you, know, you hear Joe talk about depression? Because if you understand... You don't think I've been depressed before, stupid? Hmm. Everybody's been depressed. People before. don't know that you have, yeah, though, because you're always so positive. Yeah, well, that, it took a long time to get positive. I've had really awkward social moments, really dark moments of terrible feelings, and that lasted months and months. We all have. Was there anything in particular that got you through it? Um, just pussy. That helps. <laughs> Certainly, but then that can be a source of even more depression. Yeah, yeah tell if me you get about a, it. Get a hold of a, a bad one. <laughs> what, what do you tell people? People, people are always asking you for answers. I know you don't want to be the guy. You're like, I'm not the guy trying to tell you Well, I can you tell answers, you what I've learned. What do you tell people? You know, you can never tell people what to do, but you can tell people what helped you. You know, and you can tell people uh, what has aided you and where you were going wrong and how you saw it and corrected it. It's like a big part of life is is got to be the way you interact with human beings, the happiness that you derive from friendships, the happiness that you derive from doing things together, from, and also from creating things, you know, the, the happiness that, whether it's creating carpentry or art or any, we, we are some weird animal that constantly seeks to use the imagination to make physical things manifest themselves. You know, whether it's physical things in terms of something you can read online or something that you can watch as in a video podcast, whatever it is, we, we, we have this massive amount of satisfaction that we get out of making things because we're some weird fucking bee thing. We're some weird insect like that's making shit. a hive. We're just making this super complicated hive that's connected by billions and billions of other little fucking weird pink monkeys and we or brown monkeys and black monkeys and yellow monkeys and we're all putting it all together and we don't know what it is. We don't we, we all are responsible for our own little piece of this crazy machine called culture and civilization. We don't know what the fuck we're doing, but clearly we're all working together in some weird form. Mm. And you can accept that and you can you can choose to be depressed you can choose to you can choose to live uh, an ineffective inefficient non-harmonious life because it's going to make your mother-in-law happy and and keep your marriage together 
or you can you know seek silence and calmness and truly examine your situation and then slowly try to turn that boat around slowly try to turn that battleship towards where it needs to go i think ari shafir said one time he said start with the people in your daily life he's like be nice to the waiter and be nice to this person and you know it it's it can be start really simple yeah that's my shit. Drop, drop happiness bombs. Damn, I'm gonna start doing yeah. those. You can do it. It, it, it helps life. It, it, give, it puts forth more positive energy, and that sounds like hippy dippy bullshit, but it puts forth better feelings. You feel better about the day, and I think when you feel better about the day, you you think better about the future. You think you you, you respond better to other people. You set this ball in motion and when you make someone feel better then they make someone else feel better like you know if Ari sees me tip people or be nice and then he says yeah, I'm gonna fucking do that too and then you hear about that and you say I'm gonna do that too and when when that happens and someone hearing this says that's how I'm gonna do that is just ripples and ripples of positive reactions and collectively positive. it can or can raise our collective consciousness ultimately as much if not more than anything that's ever existed in human history the biggest bursts of change that have ever come forth in human history are nothing compared to the reactions that people are going to get to the free access of information and content mm-hmm. that the internet has. The, the, the impact of the 60s ain't shit compared to the impacts of the 2000s and mm-hmm. the 2010s and 20s. There, it's going to be logarithmically mm-hmm. expanding. The world's way changing way. so quickly, it's kind yeah, of scary. We can't even wrap our heads around where it's going, and that's why the government is panicking. That's why they're building this giant NSA spy fucking cabin in, in Utah, one of the biggest, most expensive projects the government's ever undertaken. No money for Neil deGrasse Tyson's gigantic telescope to see the beginning of time, but they got plenty of money to build to watch some us. huge watch building to store every fucking email you've ever written, to, to take everybody's I laptop fucking camera and turn it on to watch you beating off and <laughs> store it and put it in some fucking <laughs> database somewhere. And you think that's a joke, but it's not. It's, it's true. Your fucking cell phone is basically a giant GPS tracking device. That's all it is. It's scary. You know? Before I forget, I just want to offer up London Real Studios for you guys. If you're ever in town to, you know, use as, you, as your studios if you want. If you guys want to, like, That interview. would be dope. If like, we're ever in England for a UFC, that's when I usually come yeah, over. I, I mean, obviously, we'd there. love you guys on the show, but if you ever want to just use the studios and I'm reckon you might be able to get the queen on your show or <laughs> you, know, you guys got enough queen. juice that maybe you can get some crazy people that are in England or in I Europe get or some Prince shit. Harry or one of those dudes. Is Prince Harry, is that a prince or is that one of the yeah, Hogley yeah. Warts? He's a guys. prince. He's a real one? He's a prince, I never yeah. know who's, uh, who's from... Uh, Dude, London's a trippy place, man. What is, what is that show? What's the movie again? Harry, oh, Potter. Uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I never know if it's from Harry Potter no, or he's, real. He's real. But uh, Red Band shirt, it says, keep calm and carry on on, his, on the front of his shirt. And that's like, that pretty much says a lot about Britain. You know, I mean, Nick and I, we're, we're actually foreigners, which is crazy. And we started a show called London Real. I mean, I'm American. He's South African. So what brought you guys to England? I went for Bizzo mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago for finance. And what'd you go for? Your, for yeah, I, w- I wanted to train jiu-jitsu um, under like someone high level. So I went to train oh. with Roger, right? Nice. So you, you moved to England for Hodger Gracie. Is it Hodger or Roger? Some people oh, call Hodger. I asked him on the show and he said either. Yeah. The jiu-jitsu guys, the, the Brazilians what? guy, they all say Hodger. Yeah. yeah, you know Hodger, he's, he's a, you know he's a scary guy, my friend. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got good. the perfect jujitsu body too; those long limbs. Yeah. You know, dude, he's a big tall uh, yeah. dude. I, I was surprised when he came over. I was like, I forgot how tall he was. Were you shocked when he got knocked out by King Mo? Yeah, I asked him about it on the show, uh, but I was surprised. But then again, he, like you said, on any 
on any day. Yeah. And, and King Mo's got some power. That's what's scary about wrestlers, too. If a wrestler uh, develops knockout power, the odds of you getting him down is kind of small. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to get a wrestler down. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu guys versus wrestlers are always a weird sort of a, a combination because if the jiu-jitsu guy can't get the wrestler down and the wrestler guy is like a, a Chuck Liddell guy, it's bad for the jiu-jitsu guy, yeah. you know. But if the jiu-jitsu guy can get the wrestler guy down, a lot of times wrestlers have some bad habits. Mm-hmm. Off their back when I was good. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, but that, that King Mo fight shows you like a wrestler with some serious power like King Mo. That's a dangerous guy. It's a dangerous guy to fight if you're trying to take the fight to the ground. It was weird. I asked Roger why he's in London because he's a Brazilian guy. You think it's the last place he'd want to go? Right. The land of rain and they say bad food. London has some good food, man. We it's just got to food. got to know where to go. That was like an old Bill Hicks joke. You don't boil pizza. Like <laughs> a, a whole bit about London's food being bad. I'm like, you're crazy. The Indian food there is sensational. We've what had you, some great, great Chinese food there. What do you guys steaks? think when you go to London? What does it feel like? Weird or? I love it. I love London. I love the people. I think they're they're. I think there's so much competitive craziness in America. And there's so much just arrogance in the American attitude, which is, you know, one of the things that built is the sort of built, mm. yeah, made it as, as fucking nutty as it is. But it also makes it just exhausting. You I know? feel it a bit just landing here from London. It was yeah, like we're on Mars and I walk around, I'm staying in Venice Beach and there is like a little bit of an aggression level yeah, a little high. Yeah. Well, it's not London's that everywhere. <laughs> we were in North Carolina. We were in Asheville this past weekend uh, and uh, Raleigh. We did Raleigh Friday and Asheville uh, Saturday. And Asheville is a goddamn gem of a town. It's right. a small town. And I and everybody's walking on the streets, and you know we didn't even think about it. Like, where is this restaurant? Oh, you three blocks up and to the right, and we're all just walking, and everybody else is walking. People walk everywhere, and I'm mean, like, that that's missing in San in in L. A. Yeah. It's completely missing. In L. A. Nobody walks anywhere. You need to have face to face contact, like the the tube yeah. in London, which is the underground. You see people face to face, you know, and you you're constantly interacting with them, seeing these crazy women wearing burkas or some lady from Somalia, and you're smelling them and seeing them. And people are just normal. more polite there too. It's it's almost super polite. Matter of yeah. fact, you, you say sorry first. I mean, yeah. I've lived there ten years now, and like the first thing you say is sorry. sorry. Yeah. It's really annoying when you're no, here. No, it's not. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's just you know, it's 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 setting forth good intentions My buddy right has away. A, a theory that. If you look at a place that's, I mean, America is such a, a, a huge landmass that it's not ever that densely populated if you compare it to like Tokyo or London where we're on this tiny little island, yeah. you know, and what happens is in, in places like that where it's so densely populated, people are forced to be, or they're forced to learn to be able to live on top of each other and be nicer to each other because there's nowhere out. There's nowhere to run. I would agree right? with you except for New York. New York's filled with cunts and they're stacked on top of <laughs> each other. Really, huh? That city's too much. Hurling shit like chimpanzees. I lived there for a few years and it, now it's too much for me. It's, um, it's not, it's, it's, I hear what you're saying, mm-hmm. but no. I think it, it has to do with why people came here in the first place. The ripples, the first ripples of intention of the people that landed, they were crazy. They were people who were so bold, they got on a boat and sailed for months across the fucking ocean to someplace they hadn't even seen mm-hmm. in a video because video wasn't invented. Yeah, that's right? crazy. They were lokesters. Thank you very much. That's a minute warning. 10-minute warning. Oh, One thing about, about London, I find, is that there are, there are years behind the technology curve. Like, I know in L.A., so many people have podcasts. Mm-hmm. And maybe in New York, it's probably lagged a couple of years. But in London, I mean, we tell people about London Real, and it's like it's a podcast, and they'll be like, it's a what? There's just not mm-hmm. a lot of people there yet. That's interesting, but I think that'll change. It'll I mean, it's not up. like you don't have access to computers and an internet connection. Mm-hmm. Microphones, or you could always buy them. You, you know, you guys will lead the way. You'll you'll be the ones. And it's new though. To start out and at first you show people, okay, we have a show for an hour, and then they try to watch it like Game of Thrones for an hour. It's like, well, 
It's not like that. <laughs> well, you know, we have a lot of uh, people who do live shows here, and I don't like those. They, they do them in front of audiences. Yeah, Marin, when Marin does that in front of an audience, I just turn it off because yeah. it always feels like... It's a different vibe. Are they trying to cater to the audience, and yeah. then they're not talking to me? They're, they're faking tr- it. trying to ham it up a little yeah. bit. And you, you are aware, no absolutely. doubt, that 50,000 fucking whatever it is in, in the audience, you know. I, I guys have done them with thousands of people. I know Corolla does like 1,000 seats. You know, it's crazy. I just, I, it's not my thing, man. I don't. It's a weird vibe. It's not the right sort of a vibe, I think, for podcasts. It's a different thing. Some people are good. Norton's great at it. Norton is really good at doing the, he like turns it up, you know. Do you, but, do you think we should go live? We don't have a live format, but it's effectively live because we don't edit in his one hour. But I was curious. I mean, you guys do have Yeah, live, live is good. You can do whatever the fuck you want, man. It doesn't matter. Try it out. See if you, you like know, it. I thought guys, I would love it, but I hated, I hated it. You hate it. You still hate it. Yeah. No, no, no. He's not saying <laughs> oh. uh, in front of an audience. He's saying live. Oh, like yeah, I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Li- well, it's uh, pretty Easier. authentic. Like and everything we've said in this is is been live. It's for already been knows consumed. How many fucking people? How many people are listening to this, then, Brian? Oh uh, no. Come how, on, you know. How do you know the I numbers? Know. How many people do watch your show? All together, we don't know. <laughs> millions. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's way. It's definitely millions. We're also on Sirius Radio right now. We have twenty three hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, um, just our Ustream page has 11,454,000 views. Oh, just just our just Ustream, Ustream page. And way more, like like he said, there's only like 2,000 people watching at a time. The most, I think, earlier it was probably close to 3,000. The most we've ever had is like maybe nine or 10,000 okay. at once watching at once. it. Yeah, but the, the, the real numbers are in audible downloads, audio downloads, MP3 downloads. Right. That's where it gets mm. crazy. Can we um, drop our info? Fuck People yeah. want to come check us out. All right, we're, um, the website's uh, londonreal.tv. Uh, we're on Twitter, at londonrealtv, and you can always check uh, our YouTube channel, which is londonrealtv as a mm. channel. Or just type London Real into Google, man. You'll find us. And also, guys, I have a jiu-jitsu site called Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. That's all one word, and I discuss my philosophies. It's jujitsubrotherhood.com. Just talk about my, my style of jiu-jitsu. And I, everything's free on there. You can go check it out as well if you have a chance. And, beautiful. And if beautiful. You guys, if anybody wants to start a podcast in any city around the world, if you've got questions, you can email, message us, call us. We'll mm. be happy to help. I'd love to see more of these things. You don't have to call it real. You can call it whatever the fuck you want. But like, And maybe in one year from today, you can be on Joe's show. Yeah, easily. <laughs> fuck yeah. Like I'll have anybody on. Man. I think that's what it's all about, right? I, mean, I think it's all about encouraging other people to, to carry this on. And uh, you guys are doing it the, the perfect way. It's beautiful to watch. I, I enjoyed watching your show. I enjoyed listening to it, uh, listening to your conversations with Graham Hancock and, and Simon and uh, a bunch of other ones I've seen too. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So, and uh, I hope that you guys spawn a million others and it just it continues on. Could have paid forward, right? Yeah, and I think that really is. It sounds so fucking corny and, and grandiose, but I think that really is the way to change the world. The way to change the world is to let people know how you've changed, and then that just it it branches out, it ripples, it has this massive sort of snowball effect, and it just grows. And if there's any way that we can improve our world, it's improving the way the other people around us see it and approach it. You know, and this this thing might be ridiculous. It might be just one frame in an infinite movie that goes on forever, and that's for a lot of people that get you know really sad about that and say, well, wow, that's so pointless. Like, what's point? But it's happening right now, and I'm enjoying the fuck out of it. If it is happening right now, if this is really one fucking step and an infinite number of steps, and it's just a a life cycle that'll repeat itself again, and you're gonna be a baby again in 50 years. 
guess what? I'm having a great it's fucking fun time. As fuck to do this. And stuff. if I can figure out a way <laughs> to somehow another transfer this energy into my next life, I'll have that. I'll have a great time in that life too. Mm. You know, I didn't always have a great time in this life, and I I don't know what that's from. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's. I don't know if reincarnation's real. I don't know if this is a one-time shot and everything else is just your ego trying to protect itself from the inevitable mm. doom of the, the, the spirit which dies just like the body does. I don't know. I don't know. We're all going to know one day though, right? Maybe. I'm not sure of that either. Well, we're all going to die. So I don't even know if that's real. <laughs> I'm not convinced. This, this whole thing might be a fucking dream within a dream within a dream. It might be a PlayStation 7 Wrapped game, up right? in chocolate sauce and pumped into your veins through, the, through a pot cookie that Brian Redband handed you on your way out the door. No cookies. No cookies, Nick. But uh, I think uh, what's made it fun for me is to have these kind of conversations. You know, it's really made... Uh, made life more enjoyable and uh i know that you guys are positively influencing a lot of people and i know uh this show is and all of our friends are and i think uh that's that's what's up you know i think that's uh that's that's uh something that we've all locked into most of us unexpectedly sort of stumbled into it but that's also i think that's the right way it's supposed to go down you know the universe has a plan for all this and uh we're little we're little strange monkeys we we follow the plan and if you're if you're resonating the right frequency if you have the right intent i think that plan turns out the way this one's turned mm. out i think it's good it's helping everybody it's awesome london real bitches yeah. thanks joe, that's so what's much. up joe thanks so much thanks, so man. they can find you guys on twitter london real tv on twitter do you have individual twitter accounts no nah, we just roll as a team well, we, have, we have small like ones. It. We're like husband and wife. We have small right? ones. Uh, I know. <laughs> Dude, we're like we bicker at each other. It's Just like wait crazy. until one of you actually gets married and starts having kids, and then you have some fucking problems. Uh-oh. Oh, and that often goes out. The wife easy. come in, and they'll be like, "Are you really gonna podcast with him again today?" God, you guys did one a couple of days ago. Do you, do you get How this? How about you go back to one week? No, I no. don't tolerate that, son. I keep the pimp hands strong in my household. Yeah. Do you don't. No. Me, Tarzan, you, Jane. That's how it roll. <laughs> For hey, life, bitches. Hey, can I promote uh, the Death Squad oh, show? Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, November 10th, me, Brendan Walsh, and Tony Hinchcliffe are coming to Columbus, Ohio at the Woodlands Tavern. Uh, it's on uh, brownpapertickets.com to search for Death Squad, and we're going to have a couple more days. And there's a special surprise guest that I'm not allowed to say who's joining us. Oh, shit. Special surprise guest. And uh, that is all. You can get that information also at deskquad.tv. Brian will have that up. We Yes, keep, people keep asking me, when are you going to put together a website where you have all of the information of everybody that's, you know, quote unquote, quote involved in the death squad we're going to do that it's just a matter of time it's just a matter of like i said i have too much shit going on right now brian has too much shit going on right now there is somebody else doing it for us vicky pezza's got death squad news where it has all of our tour dates so if you that's, that's cool. nice as well, right well here. That, See, look. oh yeah yeah it has all of it like ari burt kreischer brian calland ari shafir's there's me from Joe a Rogan. show that was like a month ago. Well, yeah, just, she hasn't updated in last week. <laughs> it's free. Well, we gotta we gotta ha- have someone. Um, look, we're gonna do this. It's all when uh, the studio gets uh, constructed and moving in place. Brian and I just had some conversations about it today, and the regular weekly shows at the Ice House. I talked to Bob today. We had a uh, a little meeting. He brought me in, and one of the things that uh, Bob Fisher, the owner of the Ice House, wants to do is have a weekly show here. Uh, so I will be at the Ice House every week that I am in town. If I'm not in town, I won't have a show here, but most Wednesdays, consider it done. This Wednesday, so far, it's Joey Diaz, Duncan Trussell. Are you in? Um, probably, yeah. Probably. Probably Brian. Uh, I think Ian Edwards is coming too, and I think Ari Shafir. 
Ari Shafir's in. Boom. Ari Shafir just texted me. He said, I'm in. <laughs> boom. That's how we roll. Look, it says boom. It's, he really did say that. <laughs> That's what kind of fucking psychic energy I'm putting forth, oh, ladies shit. and gentlemen. You see that? God, that's a big... Oh, you got your text all big. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Boom. Okay, you dirty bitches. He's in. Boom. And if you want to get in one of those super sweet Desquad TV, t- TV shirts? A What's TV. a TV shirt? <laughs> Desquad t-shirts, the ones that uh, I saw everywhere in North Carolina this weekend. Holla at your boy. Um, they're available at Desquad.tv. And again, those uh, go directly to support... Brian's podcast network. So if you like the Ice House Chronicles and all those other cool podcasts, and uh, Kevin Pereira, who will be starting tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, gonna... I'm sorry. I missed it. Thursday. So, Thursday. So um, that is, uh, that's, that's what's up. Um, this week we have, tomorrow we have Duncan motherfucking Trussell will be joining the podcast. And then on Thursday we have Amber Lyon, who is the CNN reporter who was, uh, he, they they censored her man, and uh, it's gonna be this is gonna be really fascinating stuff. I'm really looking forward it's, to that. Yeah, this is cool. gonna blow your mind because I, I've, I've been listening to several interviews of her that are already available online, and this is a, one courageous woman, and uh, this is uh, this is gonna be really really fascinating look into the world of big time journalism. You dirty bitches! All right, thanks to Onnit.com. Go there, get yourself some Alpha Brain Sun. They say, hey man. What does neurotransmitters do? I say, they make you awesome. That's all I know. All the other stuff is mumbo-jumbo, and my eyes are going, and I can't even read the small print without glasses. But go to use the code name Rogan. Become an ant. Yes, become an ant. Use the code name Rogan, and you will save 10% off any and all orders of supplements, including Hemp Force, the most delicious hemp protein available known to man motherfucker it's got maca in it which is good for your penis and it's also got raw cocoa in it which is an an, an excellent antioxidant so uh that's the schedule for this week new podcast studio is in construction right now we go live with the internet this friday so uh within a week we'll start doing some shows from there but we will never abandon the ice house ladies and gentlemen this is our home we love you you love us we are one all of us together in this crazy fucked up soup of humanity that might just be a dream (laughs) see you tomorrow freaks peace